It's Tuesday, July 12th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Listen, if you've seen the commercials on TV, Mike Glendale's telling you, when they're gone, they're gone. Original. Version 1. My slippers. Usually $139.99 down to $49.99. 98. When you enter promo code steak at checkout, mypillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or if you prefer to talk to a qualified pillow representative, the number is 1 800 658 The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're uh, gaming, potting, chewing backer, and whipping ass. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies, you don't live in Canada. He's got a five-star rating as well. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook, Messenger, and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. They've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. The home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. We found at Dumpbox.us. Still don't know? Go get yourself treated to one. Dumpbox.us is the website. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or via our website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, Frank Speech, and now via our verified account on True Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode one fifty one. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's taking a sick day, but uh, she'll be back later in the week. Oh. Guys, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Two 
of our favorite America First candidates will be joining us. Georgia 10 nominee, the man who sent Vernon Jones a pack, and Mike Collins will be here, and Mr. Joe Kent himself. But before we get into any of that, let's jump into the news. What's going on, Noah? Oh, you know. How doing, you doing? Doing the thing. Oh, the thing. It's not quite as hot today as it was uh, previously. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit cooler in San Diego lately, but we know that the rest of the country has been having some uh, heat wave issues going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, thoughts and prayers, prayers and thoughts. Uh, we, we we know what it's like, but uh, yeah, we, we we had an interesting little weekend roundup. We're gonna the, do that the for thoughts our... are hot too. Mm. I know everybody's really uh, anxious to hear our commentary on the Trump rally, but that'll be on the back end of the show today. We're gonna do uh, a little bit of weekend in review first. So uh, apparently, the radical progressive left is running out of ideas and narratives. Weird to. Uh, Figure out what to do with Donald Trump. They're they're starting to read the writing on the wall that the J6 committee isn't going to go anywhere. It's definitely not going to lead to indictments. And even though places like the radical DA in upstate New York and, and, and some of the ones who aren't very uh, America first down in Florida are always looking for ways to hem up the 45th president of the United States, they would much rather just take the easier route. Haven't we just figured out he's unhemmable at this point? I know you haven't heard this one yet, Noah, but I'm pretty sure you're going to be laughing when you hear it. Listen, listen to this newest uh, "What They Hope Happens to Donald Trump." Another there is, there is, how the many only, times did you? The get only that? plan we have this is another Republican congressman, a former Republican congressman. I said, "Look, we have no plan for this <laughs> except sitting around hoping he dies." I did hear this. Um, and again, <laughs> this book is conversation. It's also depressing, but it's also a fun book and it's a great piece. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it, it's these conversations happen over and over again. And what casts it in such sharp relief, and over the last few months, is you see what's happening in England, you see what's happening on the nine, the January sixth commission. The courage that actually does happen in conservative circles yeah. is cast in such sharp relief with the putative leadership of the Republican Party. It is both a fun read, as you said, and absolutely infuriating. Congratulations. <laughs> One of my uh, Instagram NPCs that uh, colorizes my uh, commentary every now and then in, like in response to my posting actually said he hopes Trump and Biden die before the next presidential race. Well, one of them might actually happen, but <laughs> yeah. if anybody tuned into the uh, Anchorage, Alaska rally this weekend, Donald Trump is a little bit more lively than Biden. He tapped into 2015 and really embodied it throughout the course of that event. We'll we'll get to that later, but uh, really interesting to hear, um, you know, how Meet the Fake Press wanted to roll with that uh, narrative this weekend. And, and, you know, even though a couple of the people on the panel looked stunned, as soon as the guy made, like, a, an even worse joke on top of that bad one, they all started laughing and, and had fun with it. It must be really nice to go home at the end of the day. None of, none of these people that do shit like this must have any fucking mirrors in their house because I wouldn't be able to look at myself. Well, I mean, and then, you know, if, if somebody would publicly wish death on Biden... I'm sure people would probably smear them in the in the news. Oh, this is absolutely disgraceful and blah, 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 blah. But if it's Trump, it's good to go. They'd probably just wind up in the D.C. gulag. Yeah. Um, well, Adam Kinzinger jumped on uh, one of the ABC talk shows this weekend. And, uh, he, you know, they were trying to talk about the, the January 6th committee. But, but again, it, it was the same kind of narrative. They want to erase the legacy of Donald Trump. They, they've done it through executive orders with a lot of his policies. We're even seeing this week uh, Joe Biden's looking to eliminate the taxes and tariffs that are on China, uh, which are going to get them back up to annually, you know, sucking half a trillion dollars out of this country just in trade. And then mm. as, as we're speaking right now, he's 
en route to Saudi Arabia to get down on his knees and, and, and beg the Saudi princes for them to drill more oil instead of just coming back here and, and doing it himself. Uh, Adam Kinzinger talked about all of us that are in the MAGA base, and uh, he gave, a, he gave a, a narrative which I, I can't say is any more disconnected from reality than unless you actually hear it. There's a lot of recent polling showing that the number of Republicans over the last year who view this as a legitimate protest on January 6th and not an insurrection has, adequately, has actually dramatically risen. How do you explain that? Well, look, I think on the margins, yes, it is, it is puncturing through. And I think what's most important is, again, what does history say in five or ten years? Because I can guarantee, well, I can get about as close as I can to guaranteeing that in about ten years, there's not going to have been a single Trump supporter that exists anywhere in the country. It's like Nixon. There were a lot of people that what? supported Nixon huh? until he was out of office, and then everybody was like, oh, nobody supported Nixon. I, I figure that that's going to happen. But the other thing is this. We live in a media environment where you get your media from whoever kind of reinforces whatever you already believe. And there is a profit motive on some of these media outlets to not say anything contradictory to what uh, Donald Trump is saying. He's, he's in essence a cult leader right now. He's a man that can stand up and say anything he wants. And these news mm -hmm. organizations just reinforce Stop, it. So cry. look, if you have leaders of Congress like Kevin McCarthy, like frankly most members of the, of the Republican Party in Congress, that just simply refuse to tell the truth to their constituents. Um, first off, they're lying and abusing their constituents. But secondly, you, you can't really expect there to be much of a different outcome. <sighs> Man, I'd like to know the over-under on uh, what people's feelings are on there being zero Trump supporters in this country 10 years from now. Mm, yeah, I get a feeling uh, people aren't going to be throwing them flags away anytime soon. Well, I, I just want to know... When was the last time that any of the Bushes, Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama threw a rally at a point where they weren't in office and had 50,000 people show up? Zero times. Zero times. Negative zero times. And, and or negative one times. Adam Kinzinger wasn't even fucking alive when Richard Nixon was. So <laughs> it's one of those things. Back in my day. Yeah, that's not, that's not the case. Uh, you, listen up, Junior. You pushing narratives like that, it was like Chuck Todd and, and George Stephanopoulos were, were seeing who could go lower. What? How do you, how do you think that these like topics come up? Like, like I want to see the piece of paper that they're writing this shit on, and I want to see the stuff that they crossed off because it was too fucking stupid. Well, it's like the Rasmussen poll that we share every week. They have the top five items that are important to the voters and the top five items that are important to, you know, the press that's that's regularly in the news cycle. And it's always like the economy, yeah, gas yeah. prices, southern border, one, two, three voters. And then when you go to news media, it's January 6th, climate change and, you know, some other abortion. Yeah, but I'm talking about like the shit that they decided not to run with because it was too fucking stupid even <laughs> for them. Like, like, all right, well, do you want to do you want to claim that Trump's a space alien? Well, they did. No, we can't do that. They did have those deep space images, well, deep fake images <laughs> of space yesterday that Joe Biden talked on. I was going to pull the audio for the show, but after listening to him ramble for two minutes off a teleprompter about outer space, it was like, nah. <laughs> we are going to continue the narrative of some of the interesting things that are going on around the world. You know, there's been a ridiculous shift and a pushback against the the liberal world order in the last couple months even more uh you know we, we've we've started to cover the the uh the agriculture workers in, in places like italy and the netherlands uh that are really pushing back on their governments for the all danish the, farmers too yeah, yeah 
it's been pretty crazy. In addition to that, you've had Boris Johnson step down. You've had Shinzo Abe assassinated. You've had some crazy things going on in the Dominican Republic. And something that, you know, was on our radar last week, but just didn't make it into the narrative of the show, was the complete collapse of the government in Sri Lanka, where that is a model for eat the bugs, live in a pod, live off of everything that's not real, it's all fake, and uh, we're going to kill all of your economy and just rape your land of natural resources to use in other places, but you're not allowed to use Is that them. the one where they stormed the palace and then they utilized the swimming pool for a party? Sure did. Tucker Carlson had a brief breakdown of it last night. Let's hear him uh, weigh in. One of the great weaknesses of American institutions is they have a habit of falling for the world's dumbest fads. Remember the self-esteem trend in American education? <laughs> Wall Street is even susceptible to this. ESG is the latest fad on Wall Street. Now, ESG has no real definition, but in effect, it requires companies and countries to shut down their most productive sectors in the name of climate change yep. and equity. Love it. So because of ESG, Germany is now rationing electricity. Because of ESG, farmers are in revolt in the Netherlands. But the saddest victim of ESG is Sri Lanka. Once a prosperous country right off the southern coast of India, Sri Lanka has collapsed. Inflation is over 50%. Food prices are up more than 80%. This week, Sri Lanka's president and prime minister had to flee the country. Citizens stormed their residences, went through their sock drawers and swam in their swimming pools. <laughs> Now, it was just a few years ago that the World Economic Forum published an article entitled, and we're quoting, this is how we will make Sri Lanka rich by 2025. <laughs> Weirdly, if you search that article online tonight, it's been deleted. It's, wow, it's weird, covering their tracks, but not very well. So how'd this happen? Well, in April of 2021, Sri Lanka's leaders banned chemical fertilizers. Yep. Now, 90% of the country's farms used chemical fertilizers. So what happened next? A third of Sri Lanka's farms shut down completely. Now, what happens when farms shut down? Hmm, quiz. Bill well, Gates buys starve. the land. Yeah. This is what the largest city in Sri Lanka, Colombo, looked like this week. That's what the Green New Deal looks like in Sri Lanka. Now, we know what you're thinking. Oh, so pampered lifestyle liberals in the United States just destroyed something else. They did to Sri Lanka what busing did to American education, just yep. absolutely wrecked it and then walked away like it never happened. So that's the downside. People's lives were destroyed. It's happened a lot. But here's the good news. Sri Lanka has a virtually perfect ESG score. Sri Lanka scores 98 on the ESG scale, that's more than double our score here in the United States. So we're going to need to step up our efforts to shut down farms. Great global reset in a nutshell, people. Um, it took them about five years to completely destabilize and, and destroy one of their biggest earning sectors, which was agriculture in the country. And, uh, you know, less than five years later, you have people literally putting on the president's clothes and, and jumping in his swimming pool with it. And to put that into perspective, the things that we have going on here, we're having disastrous consequences on our supply chains 
it's just a different order. You know, the, the stipulations on the farmers and the stuff that happened in Sri Lanka and those places, it's slightly different than the way we're going at it because we're just ruining it from the transportation aspect of it and allowing countries like China to buy farmland and Bill Gates, which is probably just as good as China, mm-hmm. to buy acres and acres and acres of farmland. And we're going to get into that in a moment. It's, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up. But before that, we're, we're going to expand this Sri Lanka narrative and kind of tie it into all the other stuff that's going on uh, via uh, a tweet that I saw shared recently by, by Joe Kent. And it, it's an excerpt from one of Glenn Beck's shows. And he's talking about how this whole Green New Deal, Build Back Better, and Great Global Reset, the only equation that those three things add up to is disaster. The global economic elite... Sri Lanka was the jewel of Asia. The World Economic Forum showered them with praise. In one of their puff pieces highlighting Sri Lanka's leadership of the rest of the world, the article was titled, This is How We Will Make Sri Lanka Rich by 2025. That was four years ago, and now they're bankrupt. They're more than that. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Well, the usual crap that we hear from the overlords in Davos, um, and it was all described in that WEF article, Sri Lanka was to concentrate on a social economy, spending millions in the transformation to a new kind of capitalism. They would double down on green energy. Any of this sound familiar? How about this? Sri Lanka cut taxes but also didn't cut spending. In fact, in order to fuel the great reset of their economy, they began printing cash at unprecedented levels. That sounds familiar. Because they had a green economy they just had to serve. And because everything went green and they needed it right now, they upended their farming and agricultural production. Any of this sound familiar to anyone? Everything had to be organic, and everything had to be grown with new rules. He does new fun- rules. Now like, the World Economic Forum said it was going purposely. swimmingly. Yeah. Four years into it, uh, we need to update the scorecard. This is what followed that initial push: bankruptcy, mm-hmm. inflation, mm-hmm. default, mm-hmm. shortages of food. Uh-huh. Shortages of commodities, mm-hmm. shortages of fuel, mm-hmm. violence in the streets. And in the end, the organizations that supported them and pushed them in that direction, the organizations like the IMF and the World Economic Forum, just walked away. Remember what they did to Sri Lanka the next time you hear Klaus Schwab say, now is time for great reset. <laughs> the Sino Whenever you, you hear him say that... Whenever you hear about Build Back Better, whenever you hear about our agricultural industry needing to go green, whenever you hear about how Russia is causing the gas prices, I want you to think Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that noise, you bumped the table right when that happened and I was like startled for a second, like something moved. You thought I was powering up? <laughs> so... Based off of that list he gave at the end of his monologue, I think we're currently at seven of eight. And our politicians fleeing with matched luggage full of cash would be eight. I think anybody would be able to be uh, swimming in the White House pool? <laughs> Is there a pool at the White House? No, but there's bowling alleys. Oh. There we go. I thought they took down the bowling alley. You think Joe Biden has some my slippers? They'll be putting on his my slippers. <laughs> 
first thing they're going to do is wheel that teleprompter out the second story balcony and throw it over the edge. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it's just interesting to see that there's tons of collapses going on around the world, but it, 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 it appears that a lot of them are self-induced at the behest of things like the World Economic Forum and, and narratives like the Great Global Reset. Um, no one probably enjoys this more to seeing all of that stuff and our demise other than China. Um, someone who's benefited bigly from the fact of uh, Joe Biden, air quoting now, winning the presidency back in 2020. Winning. Yeah, we've seen this week that the Trump era taxes and tariffs are finally being lifted, which means China will be making a whole lot more money again. Uh, when nations like Sri Lanka collapse, China's usually the first one in there, a la COVID, to buy everything and promise that they'll build it at a ridiculously high interest rate. Oh, not back better? No. Build back Chineseier. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't... I mean, I know where the t-shirt will be made. Thank you. Can you imagine, like, somebody making some shit like that and then, like, having it made in China and, like, the, the couple of dudes that actually speak English in the sweatshop over there, they're just like, these motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine that. It's not funny. No, it's not. It's and insulting. It sure is. Racist. So, you want to keep doing the voice? Oh, there you go. But we're we're in definitely some some pre end times in regards to this whole narrative, and and like you've seen such a big pushback from the actual citizens, and and, and a lot of people have talked about it who've come on this show. The world government apparatus overplayed their hand during COVID with lockdowns, restrictions. Um, the, trying to destroy the middle class and the lower class throughout the world and, and things like that. We we just see right now some of those leaders and governments being held accountable, but we're still running into some major issues here. So most recently, in regards to China, people in the Trump administration who have pushed back on them the hardest, two of them, namely Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro, have come under some of the most scrutiny and more. Yeah, what's the status on those guys right now? So over the weekend, I believe on Friday it was, President Trump issued a statement saying that he was going to waive his executive privilege and allow Steve Bannon to testify before the January 6th committee. Mm. And that's that's pretty much at the request of Bannon because he wants to take them to task. He's tried to sue Nancy Pelosi personally in addition to, you know, examine a whole bunch of other legal angles to maybe not testify before this committee in Washington, D.C., and things of that nature. And the same thing with Peter Navarro, one of Donald Trump's most trusted and reliable, uh, you know, advisors, who, besides Donald Trump, hit China the hardest throughout the course of the presidency. Those two have come under major attack from the radical progressive left. Tucker touched on it last night. I've got back-to-back clips on it. Let's hear them. Not only is Joe Biden ending tariffs against China, Joe Biden's Justice Department has just arrested the man responsible for those tariffs. His name is Peter Navarro. He was the most effective China hawk in the Trump administration. Fact check true. Last month, Peter Navarro was handcuffed at a Washington, D.C. airport and dragged to jail in leg irons. Why? Supposedly because of January 6th. But Peter Navarro had literally nothing to do with January 6th. He wasn't even there. But Joe Biden didn't stop there. Steve Bannon was the other notable voice in the Trump administration, mm-hmm. warning about the growing power and malicious intent of the Chinese government. 
In November of last year, Steve Bannon was also arrested by the Biden Justice Department, also on absurd pretexts. So take a step back. What's the message here? Well, it's unmistakable. Don't criticize the Chinese government or we will throw you in jail. Tucker would continue. So take a step back. What's the message here? Well, it's unmistakable. Don't criticize the Chinese government or we will throw you in jail. Now, if you happen to be watching all of this from Beijing, as Chinese leaders definitely have been, sure. you would be applauding. Joe Biden just arrested your loudest critics. How gratifying is that? Things are going well for you. You already control Canada, whose yep. brain-dead prime minister is effectively a Chinese lackey. Now the most powerful country in the world is doing exactly what you want it to do. You'd be thrilled by this. Yeah, definitely plays right into the hands of China. It's something that people like Steve Bannon and, and Dr. Navarro teased and, and championed throughout the course of the Trump presidency. It's something that President Trump still talks about greatly to this day uh, at all of his rallies. And it's some of the people like, you know, just based off the two people that we're going to have on the show today, both Joe Kent and Mike Collins have been huge advocates for stopping the CCP from their great global takeover. So it's one of those things where, you know, Joe Biden and his ties to China by the day continue to be more revealed. We saw a lot of stuff leaking out from those uh, devices of Hunter Biden's that have been hacked into by 4chan. That apparently they've broken the, cracked the passcodes and have gotten in there. We know upcoming guest on the show who's going to be joining us on the 15th of July. Uh, that's this Friday, former Trump administration official Garrett Ziegler. He was in those devices uh, three to four weeks ago. And mm -hmm. we're going we're gonna to be talking about a lot of the information that was on there this Friday when he sits down with us. So switching gears though, cause I know Noah's always hungry. Mm. I don't know if you heard it, but we, it's not confirmed yet, but we heard she's going to be the head of Latinx outreach moving forward. Dr. Jill Biden yesterday compared, uh, San Antonio Mexicans ah. to ah. breakfast tacos. No, the bog, bogatas, bogatas, bogatas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ready for it? Let's hear She's such a queen. Mm. But we can't get those things on our own. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity oh. of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, oh, 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 as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Wow. <laughs> is your strength. Do you think before she went out there, if there was one word out of that entire speech, bodega, that she might not have been familiar with as she's glancing through it or the people who actually wrote it for her could have been like, hey, Dr. Jill. See this word right here? Do you know how it's pronounced? Or same speechwriters, maybe Dr. Jill's QCing it herself and gets to the end and be like, wow, it really looks like you're comparing, you're having me con compare Hispanics to breakfast tacos. You sure that's going to fly over? Well, well, you know, si se puede. <laughs> I mean, when in doubt, phonetic it out. <laughs> the day didn't get any better for the Bidens. Joe Biden spoke at an event yesterday. And, and, of course, he was, he was reading off the teleprompter, uh, at, at to which point he was interjected by a reporter who I guess he blew off for a question. Uh, when they tried to have the reporter sit down and be quiet while he was talking, 
he segued straight to some of the information that's recently been released from those Hunter Biden devices, more specifically the hookers he's been paying for, mm. uh, probably using government dime, and if not government dime, definitely some sort of fraud. Uh, you know, the the moving of hookers across state lines to visit him and then them receiving checks in excess sometimes of $10,000 for what's being listed as medical services. Dang. So we all know after seeing some of the videos that's been released, medical services apparently is Hunter Biden skinny dipping down a, a, a pool slide and then him weighing a couple grams of, of crystal meth. To which point he complains about it's not enough. Mm. But but let's hear this Joe Biden. Or I hate having to argue with my hooker. Let's hear this reporter actually take Joe Biden to task. I'm dealing with gun violence. What do you think about hunters? Because make no mistake. Sit down. You'll hear what I have to say. What do you think think about Hunter? You're stunned. There's a video of him arguing with a hooker about how much crack he has. What do you think about that, Mr. President? Okay. Because make no mistake about it. You hear his handlers just say, just keep reading. And he's like, okay. And he just goes right back to reading. They told him to keep reading? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what do you feel about his son arguing about how much crack he's getting from the hookers? Uh, That's amazing. Sure isn't. Fucking amazing. That's all transpired into some of the weekend... uh, State of the Fake Union CNN show this weekend. They were actually talking about poll numbers, which we see, you know, for the first time, Joe Biden's poll numbers are reflecting in the 20s over the weekend. And, and to start this week, he, he's coming in at a whopping 29%, which we still feel is high, but definitely getting close to actual reporting numbers of how the country feels of him right now. CNN weighed in on not only his poll numbers, but uh, how much the voter base right now, and it's disintegrating by the minute, or their enthusiasm level on whether or not they want him to run. Two-thirds of Democratic primary voters want a different nominee. Two-thirds. If you break it down by age, 94% of Democratic primary voters under the age of 30, 94% say they don't want Biden. That is a stunning number. Yes. Um. I mean, he swept his grandchildren, but other than that, I mean, like, who, uh, I mean, 94% don't want him, who are, dem- again, 94%. Demo- Democrats yeah. under yeah. the age. What do you feel about those numbers, Noah? 94% of all Democratic voters under the age of 30 polled do not want Joe Biden to run. That is after he received the most votes in the history of votes, the galaxy. Well, I mean, it, it says a lot. That yeah. I mean, it says a lot for the people that are still out there just slamming their heads up against the door going yay for Biden. That 30 to 35% that Cash Patel talked about. Vote blue no matter who. Mm-hmm. That's the dumbest fucking thing. You, you've lost a, a large majority of that 35%. Like, I don't even think there's that many people that vote red that would vote red no matter who. Mm-hmm. Or whatever rhymes with that. Mm-hmm. Vote red till you're dead. Yeah, you know, I, I think in the end, Donald Trump has always proven right, even on some of his most wildest allegations. Like, like he's, he said, well, he said he's been spied on in the White House. He said he's been spied on in Trump Tower. We know true. that's true. Russiagate, yep. debunked the whole thing. Yep. Impeachment volume two, de- debunked the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What he said they were going to do with COVID, gas prices, the economy. Mm-hmm. His wildest allegation of them all, according to the legacy media, is, is that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. And it's kind of looking that way. Listen, less than 18 months out from the greatest vote-getter in the history of the universe, 
81 million votes. Apparently, he had 100% popularity in the country. He's now polling at sub-30s in overall favorability. Country on the wrong track, near 80. And 94% of the Democrat voter base under the age of 30. Those are the people that are actually going to go out and vote on Election Day, want someone else to run. You, you, you can't really speculate where this is going, but it's definitely my inkling that at the end of the day, Donald Trump may, may very well be proven right. All right, coming in first on the show today, uh, he is the Republican nominee in Georgia 10. He just won a huge runoff election victory in the same district not too long ago, and he's joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Mike Collins, thanks for coming back on with us. Hey, man, I appreciate y'all having me back on. Oh, we appreciate you and the uh, amazing work you did on your campaign, sir. How's everything going with you? You know, uh, things are still going extremely fast. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't think we know a different way. I don't think we know how to slow down anyway, so we wouldn't want that. But, uh, you know, we're past the runoff. We're into the general election now. So uh, we've got uh, till November the 8th, and uh, we'll finish this thing off. Yeah, I definitely think you're going to. Now, let's talk about that. Uh, y- you, won a, a, you won with a solid vote get on uh, the regular primary day, which led to that runoff election against Vernon Jones, and then you really hit the campaign trail hard. I mean, you guys have had one of the best ground games in the entire country, but, I mean, you even had to send us a message for our listenership because we were trying to get you on the show before the runoff, but you were just out there knocking on too many doors, man, putting some miles on that truck, and uh, it seemed like it led to an absolutely uh, conclusive runoff victory. Well, I think so. I think uh, coming in at uh, just shy of 75-25 was, uh, was the final tally. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, you're right. You know, the, the last nine days of that race, we actually took the, uh, the Peterbilt truck that we have and uh, drove it through all 18 counties. Now, obviously, I'm the only one with commercial driver's license. <laughs> so I was driving that truck and we put just shy of 2000 miles on it. And we actually left it overnight a couple of times in, in a few places just so we wouldn't have to bring it all the way back to, uh, to Jackson here. But, uh, you know, in, in between the two stops that we had planned every day, uh, we would park that truck. And if we had two hours or more, we would get out and knock doors in a neighborhood in that area. So we were continuously knocking on doors, getting out our message, seeing people. It was an incredible time. By the end of that thing, uh, people were just it was amazing how many people were showing up early in the morning, lunchtime, or either at five o'clock in the afternoon after they got off work, wherever we'd be. And it was exciting. It actually builds momentum. And uh, I know that was one of the big reasons that uh, propelled us to a big victory in that runoff. Yeah, we sure do too. You think, do you, do you really think when it came down to it, you know, politics can be such a dirty game. Obviously there was a lot of smear campaign coming out of your opponent, but the fact of the matter is that you've been in that area for so long. You, you've held certain positions. You've been the Republican chair there as well. You've ran in a couple election before and have done really strong you know your name is very common down there when you got out and said like hey listen this is me this is what i'm here for you know you are america first you you supported trump era policies and these are some of the things that our country is not experiencing right now in any way shape or form do you really think the voter base down there that was the big connect that that knew uh you know they had the the safest and most reliable vote when they voted for mike collins yeah i think you're hitting the nail on the head in a lot of different ways 
You know, first of all, yes, I, I've been in business here in, in Butts County. Just my wife and I, we're, I'm second generation at this, but we've been we've had our own business here in this area for over 30 years. So this district is not new to us. We didn't move in. We didn't we weren't not from the district. Uh, and, and I think it's funny, even my Democrat opponent, she's not from the district. So we continue to battle people that aren't actually living here and voting here. But uh, but people have always known us. And so when the when the attacks started coming to me and about me personally, about uh, about my business and then even about my dad, who uh, was very well known in, in the whole state of Georgia, uh, people were able to really look through that, see that and, and identify that that none of that's true. And, uh, and I think that uh, that they actually saw that there was a huge difference in someone that has been in private sector in the private business their entire life. Now, yeah, you're right. I've been working in Republican politics. I've been the chairman of Butts County here for over seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody that was in the private sector versus somebody that was a career Democrat politician, a really far left wing Democrat politician running in a Republican primary. So there was it was just uh, to me, it was a very easy uh, difference in the two candidates. Yeah, I, I can agree with you there. There, there was a sh- huge red flags when it came to your runoff opponent. And, and uh, like we said, we think we got over the finish line with the right guy as the nominee. Now, let's talk about the general election real quick. You did tease and say that your uh, Democrat opponent now is going to be someone who, who doesn't live necessarily in the district. I'm sure she's going to be running on some of the same you know, tricks and, and non-political, uh, you know, moves that the establishment does to try and uh, harm your campaign. But uh, why don't you let our listenership know a little bit about them and uh, what the general election matchup looks like? You know, the general election is going to be the same thing that we ran in the primary. Uh, we, we know we are a strong Republican district here in the 10th district. We know that. And when they redistricted us, it actually moved her out of the district, which uh, made us even stronger as far as a Republican district. Uh, district here in the state of Georgia. But we don't take anything lightly. We don't take anything for granted. And uh, we will continue to run the same campaign that we always have, which is we have never, ever changed our message. Right. You know, the, 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 the same message I gave on day one when I got in this race is the same message that I gave when I was thanking people who, uh, who voted and put us in this nomination. And so we won't change that. We won't change the way that we run. Uh, we love the, our ground game operation. Uh, our ground game is what uh, exactly what you said. That's what's made us. And, and I know that's what people uh, I think people are clamoring for that, too. You know, there's there 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 is a social media. There is a platform and there there is a place for that. But I think people really want to see, touch and feel the candidates again. And uh, we hear that everywhere we go. Uh, people, you know, when I knock on a door and if they say, Hey, you can tell Mike, I've, he's got our support. And I say, well, I am Mike. Thank you. <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't know. They can't believe the candidates standing there, mm-hmm. but they, they, they did in turn, a lot of them say, Hey, you know, we just appreciate the fact that, that you're not sitting in a computer that you're out here with us and, and you're out here to see us and, and talk to us. Yeah, I, I definitely think the time for like the interviews and to get your message across on social media, mm-hmm. there's definitely a time and place for that. But some of the biggest campaigns that we've seen the most success uh, throughout this entire primary season and, and heading into the general elections are the ones who have had the most extensive ground game. And they show it on their social media, much like you do, Mike. You got videos of you in the truck, you in, at breakfast, at the range, at, at town hall meetings. And I think that's the thing. People have heard enough talking. They want to see doing. And, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest things you've brought from the table since uh, we've connected with you. 
last year. I do want to start touching on some national issues. Now, I could assume in Georgia 10, one of the biggest ones has to be the one that's at the top of most of the uh, voters' concerns across the country right now, and that's gas prices in the economy. You know, we, we've all seen on the news over the course of the last few weeks uh, Joe Biden and, and his cabinet members taking the task, people like Kamala Harris and, and Pete Buttigieg and uh, Brian Reese go out there on on the news talk shows and talk about, you know, the great global liberal reset and not caring about gas prices and, and things of that nature. And, and, and they want to talk about things like, you know, January 6th and things that aren't important and climate change to the, to the voters. And uh, how are the people right there really hoping that, uh, you know, you could bring a new flavor to the, uh, to the table there when you get into the beltway and uh, want to get this economy reined in? Well, you, you know, that new flavor that is going to hit DC in January, 2023 with my name on it. Uh, is very, very in tune with something called the inflation from from our energy, from our fuel prices, being in the trucking business. And, sure. You know, we only burn through about 26, 27,000 gallons of diesel fuel a week here. And we're a small trucking company, you know, just north of 100 trucks. But that is uh, that is still first on, on most people's minds because that drives everything from your, not just your fuel prices, but your your, your food, your clothing, everything that you get has, is in some relation to petroleum. Right. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't, if, if, if we didn't have petroleum products, you wouldn't have a lot of the clothes or anything else that you have in your home. It's not just the fuel that you put in your car. And until we get a handle on the fact that we have fuel, we have oil right here in this country and we need to be energy independent again, uh, you're not going to get inflation down. There's, there's two big things up there. That's one of them. And we've got to get back to, to drilling right here. And as soon as it may take you six months, nine months or a year to actually drill the first hole. But the minute that you say that we are back on track to drilling here, you're going to see fuel prices start to come down mm-hmm. right then. But uh, until we get a handle on that, until we get a handle on those folks up there spending our money like it's water. They're sending our oil uh, to <laughs> our enemies. We are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, are, are, are sending $39 billion in profit to, to the uh, Middle East over there to buy oil. Um, we're, we're still going to be in a major hurt. There's, we're not at the end of this thing yet. Uh, in our industry, as a matter of fact, we're seeing a number of small, small trucking companies that are there. They, I think last time I talked to you, I told you owner operators were, were shutting down for 90 days, but mm-hmm. now we're seeing. Uh, just small four and five to 10 truck operations. They're beginning to close down. Mm. They, they can't, they can't continue to run and in, in the red. So those are two big issues and, and, and they'll be first and foremost when we hit the, hit the ground running in January. Yeah, yeah. Some of these smaller operations, like 10 truck operations, like you mentioned, I mean, those guys are probably ruining their credit, losing their homes, you know, losing trucks to, you know, like they almost had it paid off and then they're just going to straight lose it because they don't have the money now. Yeah, 98% of the trucking companies in this country are 10 trucks or less. Yep, yep. And it's one of the things right now, it comes to the point where, uh, you know, inflation is, a, is a, you know, they're speculating that it could raise another two full percent by the end of August. And at the same time, Joe Biden's on a plane right now heading over to Saudi Arabia to beg the prince for uh, them to produce more oil. So it, it, it's interesting to see that narrative. I am going to continue to stay in uh Geopolitics, Mike. We we saw yesterday another four hundred uh, uh, billion dollars in money is going to be uh, allotted for Ukraine and uh, weaponry that's going to go over there. We we we've seen this conflict from day one uh, not really produce any of the results that the 
you know, world market is uh, proposed to us. The, the hardest sanctions in the history of sanctions have saw Russia's currency uh, become galvanized. We've seen Russia now telling who and, and how much and what uh, exactly of their products they can get. And they're kind of holding a lot of Europe hostage when it comes to petroleum and, and natural gas. And uh, we, we really don't see a uh, military outcome that's going to favor either side in this conflict. It, it should have been tried to be uh, resolved diplomatically a long time ago, but it seems like it has a lot to do with money and optics going into the midterms, and the administration is going to continue to use this as one of their, like, carrots to dangle over the uh, heads of their voters. You know, if they could just continue to vote Democrat, we'll make sure that we stop Vladimir Putin. Uh, th- this is We all know that's a whole bunch of nonsense, but uh, what, what's your take on the latest coming out of, uh, you know, the quagmire that's become Ukraine? No, you're, you're exactly right, and it's just it's more the same old, same old. Uh, what you're doing is you're seeing Ukrainians getting killed. You're seeing Putin get rich. And, uh, yeah, man, he holds all the cards. He could go as slow and as fast as he wants to. And and the whole time he is making money by the boatload because of his, his oil and everything is, is continuously increasing, and the guy's getting wealthy off of it. Now, all, the, all he is and all Russia is is nothing but a thug gas station over there. <laughs> and uh, if – we're going to we're sending money that we don't have to Ukraine that we shouldn't be involved with. And it is causing them to lose their lives when they should be negotiating to get out of this situation and to settle this situation. And we're not doing them any good. But but, uh, you know, this is the, the, the Biden plan doesn't change. It's not going to change. What's going to change is we're going to get a new Congress. We're going to get a, a solid majority of Republicans. Uh, this I, I think that you're going to see just a huge red wave coming in November that's going to uh, propel not just the House, but the Senate to a good, solid majority Republicans. And we can start combating some of this chaos. Some of this it's just lunacy what they're doing up there. Yeah, which leads me to the next point I want to bring. Now, one of the biggest things, aside probably from congressional uh, investigations right after the midterms and once you guys all get sworn in, is going to be proposed impeachments. Now, we have a lot of candidates who are already nominees that are running in districts that voted overwhelmingly for President Trump in 2020. We know we're going to start stacking numbers here soon. Even places and, and, well, I'm air quoting, news outlets like CNN is proposing uh, a number around 255, which means it's probably going to be more than that in, in the House where it only takes 218 to win majority. Um, impeachments are going to be on the table. Now, when you look at uh, some just the biggest issues since the start of the Biden administration, obviously there's Afghanistan uh, with Joe yeah. Biden and the mismanagement that happened there. You have the weaponization of the DOJ, everything from like the parents being harassed at PTA meetings and them lying about it all the way up through the congressional inquiries and uh, possible indictments coming from the January 6th committee with Merrick Garland. And and we think one of the most important ones is the crisis down on the southern border. We know you've weighed in on this uh, extensively. You're, you're one of the biggest advocates of, of, of a safe and secure border. But the job that uh, Alejandro Mayorkas has done down there has had a lot of the candidates uh, running for House seats talking about he might even be the first one that they go after just because of the severity of the crisis down there. Now, looking ahead, what do you think the relevance is and maybe legitimacy of uh, getting into some of these impeachment inquiries? Oh, I think it's uh, it's not only a possibility. I think it's going to happen. Uh, you're right. You, you could take any of those situations, especially with Joe Biden, and uh, you could bring up impeachment and get it passed. And once we take over the majority, I think you'll see, uh, I think that what you're going to see is it's going to be even more important what we do as far as leadership in the House, who we pick as Speaker of the House. 
uh, because uh, once you if you start getting through impeachment with Biden and, and Harris, uh, obviously you'll be down to your speaker of the House yep. will, will be president. Uh, and and they they've been there've been numerous uh, incidences in which you can impeach Bill Biden on and, and his administration. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's, that's, I don't see that as just, uh, fodder anymore. That's, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it. Uh, and, and that's going to bring me to my last question for you, Mike, it, it's proposed leadership. We all know Kevin McCarthy is one of the people that's vying for speaker of the house. Uh, he's got a pretty big faction up there of, uh, you know, we'll call them establishment Republicans. Uh, we did see some clarifying, uh, verbiage coming out of Trump world not too long ago where he was taken to task on uh, in, during an interview about you know, endorsing Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. And Donald Trump says, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the midterm elections. That's what I voted or, or decided to endorse him on, and I'm not endorsing him on anything else. Uh, it, it might be sending a message to the House Republicans there that if there's ever a time to maybe challenge him for, for party leadership, it may be now uh, at such a critical juncture for our country. What do you feel in regards? Do you, do you feel like it's time for a change in, uh, in, in the House leadership there? You know, we've gone through this whole January 6th thing. We've covered it extensively. Uh, we've yeah. had so many legal, uh, you know, know-hows come on and, and talk to our audience about it, real constitutional lawyers who have worked major cases like this in D.C., huge terrorism cases, finance cases, and stuff like this. And they can't believe that House Republicans have let it, you know, get to this point. They said, you know, some of the stopgaps could have been like, you could just start suing your congressional opposites there personally and, and just say, like, listen, if you're going to embarrass the country, we're going to embarrass you. And, and we haven't seen any of that. We just see a lot of people go on TV and talk about it. So what, what do you think in regards to House leadership and, and, and what a potential uh, person to have the gavel uh, might look like? Well, let, let's start with, with the January 6th uh, TV show that's going on, because that's what it is. Yeah, sure. You know, is. The, the, the Republicans weren't allowed to have any representation from lawyers, weren't allowed to subpoena anybody. So so the, the, the two so-called Republicans that we've had on there should have been out of the caucus a long time ago. Yes. The, the Republican Party has internal problems, and, and that's that we don't hold people accountable. Uh, we and, and we have given the Republicans the majority before and they've squandered it. Paul Ryan did that for us. We still got Obamacare and we didn't have to have that. We could have taken care of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, when when I talk to people about leadership and, and what I'm looking for, uh, it's kind of I, I think I'm in a, in a really different situation in the fact that uh, we didn't have any help coming from anybody to win our race. Uh, you know, the, the people that I'm obligated to are the people that voted for me, the thousands of people in the 10th district of Georgia. That's who I owe my loyalty to. And that's the, 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 from the standpoint of which I'll be looking to make my decision on who I'm going to vote for, for speaker. And when I look at a speaker, I'm looking for somebody that is going to stand up, make goals, set people in position to accomplish those goals. And then if they can't hold them, hold them accountable and get rid of them and get somebody else in there. Now I haven't seen anybody, step up to that point yet. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like the rest of us. We'll see who gets elected in November. We'll see how it comes out as, and, and, and who starts rising to the top that can lead our party and become a great speaker of the house. And we'll, we'll get a lot of stuff done. Yeah. I, I like that way you look at it. You know, it's, 
it's easy for people to come on and say I'm a hard no on Kevin McCarthy, but when you don't really have a backup plan or, or you just go to old reliable, be like, well, I like Jim Jordan. Well, we all like Jim Jordan too, but he's also been there through a lot of this, and we want to see him get together with a coalition of America First Republicans, which we know he is, and, and really start taking these Democrats. We have to start playing some of the games that they're doing. They, they've literally ruined people's lives. They've ruined people's careers. They've ruined people's finances. We saw um, just recently what they've done to people like Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro. Uh, it seems like if you were, you know, if you, if you weren't established enough in the beltway and you had any connection to Donald Trump, you could just expect the rest of your yeah. life to be one that's, you know, filled with harassment and, and financial dismay. And uh, we can't have that. We have to stop this whole narrative and the way that they're doing things right now. And we need to reset it to the point to where we're just getting back to politics. Like you said, Mike, that, that better serve the people of places like Georgia 10 and the rest of the people in this country. That's it. You know, you even see... Um a lot of the J six stuff floating down to the state level, especially here in Georgia mm-hmm. with, uh, with some of the candidates that are running on a, on a statewide level. Uh, you know, so, so there, that this J six is branching out, not just in, in Washington, DC, but they're, they're trying to destroy Republicans all across this country. Yeah. And it's one of the things we're going to have people like you as someone who's in the way of them actually going after the citizens, they're going to have their politicians standing up for them and, uh, you know, you know, help making this, uh, well, Congress great again, moving forward. Mike, you know, it, it's barely August. I'm, I'm assuming at some point between now and November, we're going to be able to sit down again and get a full update on the campaign trail. But in between that and, and, and now we want to be able to direct as much of our listenership to continue to support you, all of our new listeners that are coming in recently to uh, jump on there with campaign donations if they live in the district or the state, help out with the, uh, well, Georgia 10 apparatus that you got going on down there. So if you want to give your campaign website and uh, social medias, we'll live link them in the show description today. Hey, yeah, I appreciate that. They can go to MikeCollinsGA.com. That's our website. Or you can take that MikeCollinsGA and you can go across any of the social media platforms there are and you can pick us up. But uh, I, I want to I tell you all something. I, I really appreciate just the fact that y'all have had you've had us on uh, numerous times to just talk about issues and explain to people who we are. I think that is so important. I, I think ground games are good. But I think in the background, when people are sitting around and they're trying to look for information on people, they can tune into things like your podcast and they can get information and hear directly from from candidates. And that's something that we're not often afforded, uh, you know, especially uh, just uh, as far as news media. So I appreciate everything you've done for us. Uh, we look, man, I tell you, I, somebody told me the other day, man, I can't believe you want to go up to the swamp, but I am looking forward to getting up there and getting that fight because I'm going to tell you, there's some of us that will probably be kicked out in two years, but I guarantee you one thing, they'll know that we came through there and they'll know that Mike Collins was in DC, but uh, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to be able to get up there and we're going to make some good changes and, uh, and I am certainly looking forward to it. We're looking to forward to it as well, Mike. And like I said, at some point during the summer, heading into the fall, we'll get you back on. Our listenership really enjoys hearing from you. And we've had very few day ones. You know, we always have repeat guests. Everybody wants to come on for an update either after the uh, the primary or, or, or just to, uh, you know, kind of get their campaign stuff out there. But some of the ones who have come on, you know, up to a half dozen times like you have, Eric Greitens, the Joe Kents, et cetera. We have very frequent guests who, uh, you know, once a month they want to stop in for a little update. And our listenership really enjoys it. And you see they don't win that primary by 
54 to 46. They win their primaries by 75 to 25, like you did. And we really give a lot of credit to our listenership for, uh, you know, getting out there and uh, sharing our material, which is your material, which in turn we hope leads to votes in the uh, in the fall. This is the America First nominee, Georgia 10, one of our great friends of the show. Mr. Mike Collins, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Take care. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is the Trump-endorsed America First candidate running to represent Washington 3 in the upcoming midterm elections for the U.S. House of Representatives. Joining us on the show again, one of our regular guests, favorites of the show, Mm -hmm. Mr. Joe Kent. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? What's going on 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 your end with the campaign trail? Well, we're definitely in the the barnstorming phase of the operation. So uh, ballots get dropped next week. So we've just been nonstop doing about two town halls uh, a day in many cases, probably about seven a week, plus doorbelling. We just... Can't, we just went over, uh, I think, 90,000 doors that we've knocked on so far. So we're just full court press. We're leading all the independent polls. The uh, the opposition is spending a ton of money on us, whether that's Rhino establishment corporate packs or that's just the incumbent spending a bunch of money coming after me, which means uh, I think their internal polling is even worse than the independent polling that we have. So, so far, so good. We're just going to not let up until it's all over. Yeah, you guys have had your foot on the gas since day one. You're probably one of the most active and uh, ground game based uh we had mike collins on the show a little bit earlier today he's another one who had an extensive ground game he told me he throughout the course of the campaign all the way up through the runoff him and his team knocked on over like forty thousand doors personally in the district and the last 10 days there they were driving that peterbilt all over you know jackson georgia and and it it, look what happened he won his runoff election by 75 percent so you know it's one of those things right now we see Anyone who follows Joe on social media, which we assume most of our listenership does on, on some platform, whether it's Instagram or, or True Social or Twitter, he throws his you know schedule for the week out there pretty much every week, and it's hard to find a day where you ain't got something going on. You know, you post a lot of pictures of you and your family doing fun stuff, but I can't believe I th- I feel like those pictures are all from last year because of how busy you are <laughs> every day when you're out there working. Yeah, man, got, got to get in the family time when I can. I'm lucky. I kind of actually live smack dab in the middle of the district, so I can be home with the kids uh, most mornings. And then, you know, if it's a late night, I can kind of get some time in with them. But we're we're doing events pretty much every day. I'm knocking on doors personally as well. So our uh, our recipe for success has basically just been grassroots, just hit it as hard as we can, get in front of anybody who's willing to, to hear me talk. And then really a big thing, too, is the unscripted town halls, yeah. letting people come and ask me any of the hard questions, directly respond to any of the attacks that are out there. And really have them uh, see where I'm coming from as far as policy goes. I I think that that's been a very winning formula for us. And that's what people are hungry for. Yeah, Joe, before we get into the actual primary, I do want to talk about something that's going on in Washington and get your opinion on it. You know, not too long ago, we had one of your great friends, someone who you've done some campaign events with, who's running in Washington for Lauren Colpon. And uh, it was great to sit down with him. You know, he's been involved in Washington politics for a long time. He ran a a gubernatorial campaign in in, in the last election. He's closely uh, tied to President Trump. He likes the things that he brings to the table, much like he does with you guys. Now, when you think of a place like Washington, it, it's a sanctuary state. You know, it's a state that's that's known for a lot of you know liberal politics that go on up there. Uh, there are there is a big blue collar element to it too, and 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 hardworking middle class American family. But they usually don't resonate as much in, in the polls as they are like right now. When you see people like you and Lauren doing so well in a state that's typically bluish, like like Washington State is, does it does it 
make you feel good that that message that you guys have brought to the table in combination what we've actually seen with receipts from the Biden administration from the part of it that the voters are really dialed into this election maybe like ever before to know that there's only one way that we're going to be able to get this country steered back on track and that's through uh, the ballot box of the midterm elections this year. Yeah, yeah. I think normally uh, midterms, especially in a non-presidential year, especially midterm primaries, they're kind of sleepy. They take place in the summer, especially ours is in the dog days of summer, right in August. But between everything that happened in 2020, between the COVID mandates and the COVID lockdowns, and then just the full scope of what Biden's doing to the country, we're seeing a massive awakening. And, you know, Washington State, kind of like California and so many other notoriously blue states, if you get outside our urban hub, you get outside Seattle, you are in blood red MAGA America. And the thing is, it's always been that way, but our folks have had their nose to the grindstone. They've been working, they've been supporting their families. They've been going to church, doing all those great things. And so maybe they weren't as politically active as before, but everything that happened in 2020, people are coming out in a very, very big way. Um, I'm really excited to see what our turnouts are. I get folks all the time that come out and said, Hey, I've always, you know, been a conservative, but I've just never really voted before. Uh, Many people are even like, Hey, I hate to confess, but I didn't even know we did primaries in August. Um, But they're coming out now. And then we're also getting a lot of people from the other side that are like, hey, look, um, you know, I kind of bought into the whole mean tweet thing and I didn't really like Trump. Um, so I voted for Biden, but I'm never going to do that again because I didn't vote for this. Like he he lied to us with what he's doing right now. And, you know, six bucks a gallon per gas that that'll really uh, red pill people pretty quick. So I, I think we're seeing a mass awakening. I think this year pretty much throughout the country is going to be a record for a, a, a midterm primary turnout. Yeah, and we've seen all those uh, stats that keep coming out from all the major pollsters everywhere from, you know, to, to, to Trafalgar and beyond that just show the, the plus of Republican voters that are winning and, and usually Democrat strongholds as far as registrations go over the past two years. The numbers are really kind of mind-blowing. In some districts or areas of the country, it's into the millions, which you, you typically don't see, especially in a non-presidential, uh, you know, uh, midterm year, like you said, Joe. And, and, and it's one of those things where... I. Like, I don't think I've ever seen people more involved or, or trying to get to know what their politics is, especially in their districts when it comes to governor, house reps and, and senators uh, like we've ever seen in this midterm election. That's exactly right. And, and people are realizing, too, I think, for the first time that it's every single race that matters. So I do a lot of campaigning with other America First candidates out yeah. here that are running for everything from school board, you know, all the way up to the state rep uh, races to secretary of state and all that. And, and people are just coming out and they're asking hard questions. They're getting very, very informed. I think we're seeing a lot more informed voters that know exactly what the duties and responsibilities of, you know, federal Congress versus your state reps versus your city councilmen. So, I mean, right now, we're it, it's just a massive... I think populist awakening. And this really, when you think about it, this is what the left fears. They don't want an informed electorate. And so now people are getting access to information and they're being proactive and the left's absolutely terrified. And that's why they're trying to grab every single instrument of power that they can and wield it against us. And it's the Biden thing where you mentioned that the voters are saying that he lied to us and there's, there's the stuff he lied about. And then there's the stuff that he just blatantly told the truth about, like killing our, our energy, energy in, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's the people that are seeing that now and they're no and they know that the media is lying to them or glossing over things that are negative and just, you know, just polishing the the turd that is the Biden administration at all times. And they're seeing it now. So it's huge. Yeah. Voters in Washington are like, well, I knew he said he was going to kill, you know, uh, the energy sector in Pennsylvania when he told those union workers to his face as he was, but I didn't think it was going to affect me in Washington state. This isn't what I signed up for. So, 
you know, yeah. let's talk about the primary a little bit. It, it, the date's coming up. We're just a few weeks out now. And uh, yeah. Jamie Herrera Butler has probably been one of the worst House reps in the history of the Republican Party. Uh, she's voted yeah. on so many America last policies. You, it's pretty easy to find one. You could throw it at the dartboard. COVID relief. Uh, she's she's voted for um, uh, impeachment. She, she's voted to defund the police before. And it, it's one of those things. Now she's campaigning on all the opposites. Jungle primary, regardless of the pol- political affiliation, top two vote getters get in there. Most of the polls are showing that you guys are, uh, you know, resonating to the top. What are some of the things you're really trying to hit her on Joe as, as you're trying to finish strong across that finish line? Yeah. You know, like, like I said, there's, so, there's so many to choose from, but really what I want folks to concentrate on right now is that the inflation causing spending of the Biden administration killing off our energy sector, that wouldn't have been possible without Republicans like Jamie. So Jamie has yep. voted against the in, in, energy industry on multiple occasions. She voted to approve Biden's budget. She uh, voted to approve the raising of the debt ceiling. That's absolutely essential law and order, just like down there in California, that's up on everyone's radar mm-hmm. here in Washington state, especially in the district, because we're a stone's throw away from Portland, Oregon. So our law and order situation here has been horrible. Jamie literally in 2020, because she thought it would be politically expedient, she voted to defund the police. She was one of the Republican sponsors of the Walter Scott defund the police bill. Thankfully, it didn't pass, but Jamie tried to get that across the finish line. She also voted to stop Trump from deploying federal resources to go after Antifa and BLM as they were marching into our district, past her district office to uh, vandalize property and to assault our citizens. She voted against the construction of the southern border wall amnesty on multiple occasions uh so basically a big one too is planned parenthood funding i mean jamie proclaims that she is very pro-life and look what i want republicans to realize is that the vast majority of republicans who've been in office for a very long time who say very pro-life things if you dig into their records i guarantee you the vast majority of them have voted to fund planned parenthood so they're basically stabbing the base in the back by 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 knowing that most people won't look up their records and jamie is part and parcel of that she claims to be pro life she's given 1.5 billion dollars to Planned Parenthood not only is Planned Parenthood the number one killer of the unborn in the country they're also the ones that are driving the comprehensive sex ed which is basically the groomer transgender agenda that Washington State Public Schools teach to our children so Jamie is the one that's funding that while at the same time telling us that she's a pro-life you know very Christian traditional values so on every level she has just completely and totally failed us and is not fit for the fight right now it's so weird, you know. I was I was thinking about it last night, and I'm comparing some of these, uh, you know, Republican primaries across the country, and and one of the ones that really resonates with your district, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler is really like a carbon copy of Senator Mastro in Nevada. She is like l- literally the House representative version of her. Their voting records are almost identical. They are completely obscure, like almost actors who kind of just slid into a sleepy election and and got into like a really big important seat. One's a House rep, one's a, a senator for the U.S. Senate, and uh, both of their voting records are, are just absolutely America last. It's like the, either someone got in their ear about going against President Trump during the course of his administration, or they just got you know completely bought and sold out by the lobby groups, and now they're working on, like you said, people like Planned Parenthood and all these other America Last policies. Uh, it, it's, re- it's really interesting to see, and I think with as much popularity as you've garnered on a national level, Joe, you have to think when it comes down to your specific house race that the, the voters in your district are going to answer the call and really make a change to uh, get somebody else in there. It's going to provide real leadership in the House of Representatives. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, the big, the big national issues, and then I'm always grateful for the the national spotlight and all that, but those issues are really resonating here in the district too. I I think the old kitchen table politics of, of yesterday, they've really been blended at the very national level because people now can connect the dots. 
They understand that Biden killed off our energy sector. That's why they're paying so much at the pump. But they also understand that Biden couldn't have done that without Republicans enabling that. So these these what what were once uh, very, I think, esoteric kind of national issues. They're down at the, at the grassroots level and people understand that. So when we talk about energy independence, it's not like this obscure America first talking point anymore. No. Same thing with supply chains and returning our manufacturing. People understand that. Like we're right here in the heart of timber country. People understand what the devastation that globalization has brought on and how that's affected people here at the grassroots level. And they're really sick of Republican politicians like Jamie coming in saying, well, yeah, but hey, guys, I got a couple million dollars for this grant or that grant or we built a recreation center somewhere. They actually people are demanding way more performance out of their elected officials. And I, I think we have President Trump to thank for that because he was big on you know promises made, promises kept. What what are you doing right now to fight for Americans? And the old Republican politics of yesterday, they just simply don't answer the mail. No, you're 100 correct. It's, it's pretty funny. You know, I wish we we were a large enough apparatus to like have a, a scripted conversation to we, where we could have just fed you questions, but you led me perfectly into my next one, Joe. You know, we we've heard. Okay, so let's just two years ago, or or towards the end of the Trump administration, when we were at the height of COVID, you, you used to hear catchphrases like "New World Order," "Liberal World Order." great global yeah. reset and all this stuff, World Economic Forum, and people would say that's kind of for like the fringe, the tinfoil hat wearing, you know, basement dwellers, it's not real. And then over the course of the last couple of years, we have seen so much stuff come to the forefront overtly. Uh, we've seen, you know, documentation presented. We saw the great global government summit not too long ago. We saw Brian Reese, one of the spokesmen for the Biden administration, come out and talk about the liberal world order and how they're trying everything they can tooth and nail to protect it. It's no longer uh, a cons conspiracy theory rhetoric. It's it's real. And we've even seen as, as currently as this week, there's some leaked audio from the WEF uh, out in uh, England or um, Europe that shows, uh, you know, them talking internally about, you know, Doing the gas prices uh, the way we're doing it right now isn't working. If we turn it up a couple more dollars, it really might, you know, kind of destroy the middle class. We've seen governments collapsing all over the world. There's stuff going on uh, out in the Netherlands. We've had what happens in Sri Lanka. Boris Johnson has stepped down as, as PM of England. Uh, Shinzo Abe was, of course, assassinated last week. We're seeing huge protests in, in, in modern countries in places like Italy. And... Uh, it seems like the world is finally starting to push back on all the things that have been kind of thrown on them for the last, you know, two, three years. You're huge into geopolitics. You've been all over the world at different levels for all the different jobs that you've held throughout the course of your career. What is some of the way outside looking in that you see this whole narrative spinning right now? You know, right now, I, I think we're watching the, the collapse of a complex global system. So like you said, I mean, a couple of years ago, when some of us would get up on our soapbox and talk about globalists versus nationalists, the World Economic Forum, I, I think we were kind of laughed at uh, the Obama administration for how horrible they were. They did a much better job at managing the press, public relations. Obama was a very charismatic public speaker. So he sold a lot of this much better and much more effectively. And look, they got greedy with COVID. The elites yeah. got super greedy. They saw they could use the pandemic as a way to really just ram through their most wildest and craziest fantasies, and they tried to do them all at once. And that the reverse effect of that has been the complex, the collapse of the complex global system. And now the American people are like, oh, wait a sec. A lot of the things that the people I thought were crazy were saying, they're actually correct. When Trump said that we need to 
produce things back here at home. We need to not be reliant on the Chinese Communist Party. We need to avoid foreign entanglements. We need to actually have a border. Those things right now are right up in people's faces. And this is why I say what the Democrats are doing right now, it, it's, it's so incredibly dangerous and very, very unique. Any other time, I think, in, in history, even going back to just you know eight, 10 years ago under Obama, if we would have gas prices spike this heavily and it was affecting the American people uh, every single day, I think savvy politicians on the left would say, hey, we got to stop this. Yeah. And they would be doing everything they can to fix it. They, they, they'd put their spin back on it. They'd blame the other guy. They'd do the typical political things, but they would be trying to win popular support. The Democrats, they're not trying to win popular support anymore. They're not trying to win arguments anymore. All they're doing is simply seizing every single lever of power that they possibly can, and they're trying to wield it over us. So we're in a completely different political sphere right now. And, and I do think that people are seeing that. So everything that the left has tried to do, I believe that they pushed entirely too hard. And now they're going to have to deal with this massive army of the awakened, not just in America, but throughout the entire world. No, you, you make a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing all of these things. And it, it's, it's so crazy how the whole world has been popping off basically since the start of the Biden administration. But in regards to, like, uh, national leadership in all of these countries to see some of the largest figures either stepping down or get overran. And then in some of the smaller, uh, you know, less modernized countries to see just complete re revolts going on and, uh, you know, governments being overthrown by their people. It's just wild times we're living in. Um, Joe, one of the things we've been talking to a lot of our listenership about now, we know you're still in the primary season and a lot of your focus is on that, but you could probably kind of tease a little bit to a couple of things following the the election there and uh, heading up into the general in, in, in November. One of them is, is holding this administration accountable some of the big players in the Biden administration, yeah. including Joe Biden himself, for things like Afghanistan, Merrick Garland for the uh, weaponization of the DOJ and in, in alignment with the January 6th committee, and then Alejandro Mayorkas for the disaster that's going on on our southern border, are three of the big names that a lot of people who are running in, in both House and Senate seats have proposed that, that should be up for impeachment due to you know misdemeanors and high crimes that they've been committing since the start of their administration. Do you want to weigh in on a couple of those players and maybe how you feel on, on some of those things legitimately? Yeah, certainly. So when we when we swear in, when Mike Collins and I and a bunch of other America First uh, folks swear in in January, our job is impeachment, obstruction, and congressional oversight. We have to stop the Biden administration dead in their tracks. Impeachment, that starts at the top, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So they've met the standards for high crimes and misdemeanors in a way that no other president and vice president ever have before. The invasion that Biden invited on the southern border, leaving Americans on the battlefield in yeah. Afghanistan. And then just last week, the revelation that at a time when Americans are being strangled at the gas pump, we're taking our strategic petroleum reserves and sending them not just to Europe, but we're also sending them to the Chinese Communist Party. Those are clear grounds for impeachment for Joe Biden without even touching the corruption uncovered on the Hunter Biden laptop. That's a whole nother article of impeachment. Kamala Harris, she's responsible for the border for one. And then in 2020, she was the lead fundraiser for Antifa and BLM yeah. as they murdered Americans and destroyed cities. So it's very, very clear we can impeach these folks. It's also very tactical as well. Look, the Biden administration's had their pedal to the metal for the last 18 months. They need to start playing defense. Impeachment is how we get them on the defensive. We need them waking up every morning and wondering who we're subpoenaing. But the Democrats jammed up Trump on nonsensical impeachments, and they really jammed up the administration for four years. Trump still got a lot done, and he deserves credit for that, but he was obstructed by impeachment. Well, 
turnabout's fair play. We're going to, we're going to give it back to them with both barrels. And then we start going through the administrative state, the bureaucracy. And so folks like Mayorkas, the folks like, I mean, Fauci, I think is number one. He's the first guy we got to start with because COVID has absolutely decimated this country. Not only the Americans who lost their lives to COVID because Fauci was lying about the origins of the virus, suppressing therapeutics, but also the lies that he's told on the floor of Congress to Senator uh, Rand Paul and to Senator Johnson. He's got to be, I think, one of the first guys that we go through and hold accountable. Real criminal charges should come from that. And then same thing with Mayorkas and DHS, because they they let the border get overran. They are the ones that are responsible for this con- controlled flow of illegal immigrants coming into the country. And then, of course, Merrick Garland, the weaponization of the FBI around January 6th, Chris Ray with everything that happened with January 6th, and even going back further with Russia Gate and a lot of those not that nonsense. And then same thing with the intelligence community. They've got their hands completely and totally dirty with what they did with Russiagate, weaponizing those very potent tools against the American people. So we have to start holding these guys to account. Otherwise, the American people just simply aren't going to trust us anymore. I also think that we have to very offensively use the power of the purse strings, the federal budget. Also on day one, I want to propose that we deny funding for the federal government until Biden reverses all of his day one energy policies to give the American people some relief at the gas tank. Because the Democrats only care about power, we have to take whatever power that we have and wield them against that. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable when I say that, but you just have to accept what the battlefield is. And same thing, if we can't hold Mayorkas and we can't hold Merrick Garland accountable, then we should threaten to withhold the budgets for DHS and for the FBI. No, literally, you got to shut it down. If if they're not willing to play fair game, they haven't been playing fair game since the day Donald Trump came down the escalator in 2015, it's time to really start holding these guys accountable, having strong oversight, threatening with dollars, uh, you know, at the end of the stick that you're dangling as far as the motivation goes and then getting the people who have literally committed crimes that have in turn hurt our country. Some of the damage is going to take decades uh, to reverse and it, it's all going to start shortly after January when you guys are all sworn in, which leads me to my last thing. I know you've touched on it before. We had Mike Collins on a little bit earlier. He is not sold on anyone uh, in regards for Speaker of the House, uh, you know, and and listen, having that congressional oversight and leading those impeachment hearings, who, who might even be standing in for the president at some point, is all going to come down to who holds the gavel uh, after the midterm elections. You know, it, it's one of those things. We have so many great people in, in Congress right now, but because... I think of leadership and the narrative that goes on behind closed doors. We've seen them not be able to push back on things like what happened in Afghanistan, the soaring gas prices and tanking economy and, and, you know, things like that are going on on the southern border. And even like the January 6th committee, I don't know how Republican leaderships could have literally let this go on for so long without finding some kind of legal recourse to end it. And, uh, you know, it's just such a waste of taxpayer dollars that they've been able to conduct a pseudo third impeachment trial for Donald Trump, which is going to yield the same results. He did nothing wrong, and if he wants to run for president again, we all feel like he's going to be announcing it shortly. In regards to House leadership, which which is the only thing that you're going to have control of after January, what are some of the things you're looking for in in a potential speaker, and what are some of the ways you're you're, you're looking to go as far as forming a real coalition that's going to push back on the Democrat Party? I've been pretty outspoken that I won't vote for Kevin McCarthy. I mean, McCarthy and a lot of these uh, traditional Republicans, they're saying MAGA out of one side of their mouth because they know Trump's polling at like 97 percent with all registered Republicans. Sure. But then at the same time, they're, they're supporting people. They, at one point in time, McCarthy was supporting half the impeachment voters. Now, a lot of them just simply dropped out or lost their primary like Tom Rice out in South Carolina. Yeah. But he's given directly about 120, 125 K to Jamie Hurra Butler. He has rhino type packs that are making individual 
individual expenditures right now against me trying to preserve Jamie's seat. So look, we just have to realize it is what it is that the establishment, they want the America first movement to go away. So I won't vote for McCarthy or anybody like Scalise McCarthy uh, of that ilk. What I want to see is I want to see an actual fighter go in there who, when I say, Hey, we need to conduct rigorous oversight, put me in coach. Let me, let me go do this. I want to see them backing us because we are speaking for the American people. So um, I think Jim Jordan would be a fantastic uh, speaker of the house. I know, I know he's very reserved about his desire. I think he says he doesn't want to be speaker of the house, but I, I think he'd be great because he understands how oversight committees work. He's been in DC long enough to understand how the machinery works, but he's a fighter and he votes with that, you know, the freedom caucus. He's a very conservative, true to his word type of leader. So uh, Jim Jordan, there's a couple other great ones out there. I like the idea of speaker Trump. Uh, honestly, uh, Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, those types, they've done a great, they, they've set a great example for how to fight when you are the minority of the minority. So th- th- that's where my vote will be. Now, look, McCarthy, it is what it is. McCarthy is a prolific fundraiser sure. and he has been able to get a lot of folks to guarantee that they will vote for him for speaker. I've been up front. I, I won't vote for him as speaker, but if he, if he does become the speaker, it's going to be incumbent upon us and the America first movement, the freedom caucus to really put a lot of pressure on him and, and say, Hey, look, we got hired for a job. We got hired to take the fight to this administration. So I don't want to hear any nonsense about like, well, maybe we shouldn't impeach Biden because McCarthy's already it, McCarthy and McConnell are already indicating that they don't want to go down that route in 23. So it's going to be on us to use platforms like you guys have here, like going on Tucker Carlson, Bannon's war room and just saying, Hey guys, here's what's going on behind the scenes. So call your representatives and let's, let's light a fire under them. Oh, so, so you're confirming that once you become a U.S. House representative, you still will have regular appearances on the Steak for Breakfast podcast? Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> did, we, did we get his endorsement? Yeah. Have we gotten your endorsement yet, Joe? We know you've been on the show a half dozen times, but, you know, everybody from, from Cash Patel and Rick Canell to, to Liz Harrington and even Dan Scavino have completely and totally endorsed the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Complete and total endorsement. <laughs> oh, love it. We're going to be posting that on social media at some point today. There's a couple of things before we let you go, Joe, that I do want to touch on. I, I do love the fact, uh, you know, how you talk about Jim Jordan. I know he thrives kind of on the judiciary side of the House, and he wants to be part of those investigations. He is probably one of the most well-versed uh, House Republicans out there. I, I, I think when he doesn't talk about it publicly about, you know, wanting to challenge Speaker of the House. It's kind of a combination of things. He doesn't know how big of a coalition he's going to have after the midterm elections, so you don't want to kind of play your hand before that. And at the same time, I do think he wants to do some investigations and stuff like that. But I think you guys will figure out a a very good compromise to uh, someone better than Kevin McCarthy, which, you know, we've seen it so much, whether it's you and people like Mike Collins, Anthony Sabatini, a lot of the people that we've had on this show, we keep hearing the same stories over and over again. We hear it a lot with the senatorial candidates as well. People like Eric Reitens, people like Adam Laxalt, that Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are funding these pseudo PACs and proxy PACs to uh, fund opponents because they know the crappy establishment pick that doesn't vote America first and really isn't in on Trump is a sure vote for anything that they want to like push them up against a wall and bully them for. So they don't want to lose that to someone with an actual mind, with an actual voice, which is what we're seeing from a lot of these America first, especially the Trump endorsed candidates throughout the country. And then you talked about, you know, Donald Trump. I don't know if you caught any of the rally from Anchorage, Alaska this past weekend, but I watched the whole thing several times because we're going to break it down on the back end of our show today after we're done with you. I got 2015 vibes again. The 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 vibrance, the energy, the the jokedness, the 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 cuss words that he was dropping on stage. It felt like a different Trump that we saw. 
even though he was probably at the end of a really long trip, he had gone from that uh, town hall in Vegas to pick up his plane and then flew to Alaska in like a 72-hour period, and then he appears on the stage and talks for nearly an hour and 40 minutes, start to finish, 90% of the rallies off teleprompter, and he just doesn't miss a step. It's, it seems like this guy is more energized than ever before, and it's really uh, refreshing to see that the leader of the party is alive and well. Uh, it, it's really great. And for uh, I, I've gotten to know President Trump uh, at, a, at a personal level, obviously, with the tragedy with happening with my my wife on a very uh, you know personal level. But yeah. then as I've you know become a political candidate, getting to go down to Mar-a-Lago, Trump threw a, a fundraiser for me and for my team uh, back in February. So we got to spend some time with him. And, and I, I can tell you, President Trump is he's everything you see on stage in, the, in those rallies and, and so much more like his energy level is just it's, it's unsurpassed. So I, I've seen him speak uh, recently at an event for the House Freedom Fund where they, they said he was only going to speak for like 45 minutes and that nobody could like get selfies and stuff with him afterwards. And and Trump spoke for probably about an hour and a half. And then he just jumped out into the stage, taking selfies, shaking hands until the Secret Service basically had to escort him out of there, you know, because he just wanted to stay and, and be with the people. So he's very energetic. Uh, he'll call. He'll give me a call every now and again after I've been on like Tucker Carlson or something like that. And and the great thing is, I mean, he's he's pretty Not- Trump, very charismatic, very hilarious. But what he wants to know when I talk to him is he wants to know what people are saying at town halls. Yeah. He's like, hey, when you talk to people, what are they concerned about? You know, and we talk about people are still hung up on the, the, the election. People still feel like we got a raw deal in 2020 and they want to see real action taken, inflation. He checks in on all those key issues. And so I, I just think that's really uh, remarkable for somebody who's at his level. And again, his the, the way in which his mind operates and the speed at which his mind operates is just really incredible. And so I, uh, I, I don't know anything specific, but I'm, I'm hoping and I'm guessing he's going to announce soon for 2024. And that's going to be exactly what our movement needs. Sure. No, it makes a whole lot of sense. And it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's pretty funny. We saw the New York Times and Atlantic publish articles over the last couple of days, especially over the weekend. Their big Sunday op-eds were talking about how Joe Biden's age is really starting to show why people like him at that advanced stage of their life shouldn't be holding like the highest offices in the land, especially the highest office in the world. And then you see Donald Trump, who's like just two and a half years younger than him, go out and actually lap an entire audience for an hour and 40 plus minutes on Saturday night. And that's just one of three rallies he's going to do this month. Uh, in addition to all the other events, he's doing the uh, Faith and Freedom uh, tour all over the country. And, and he's doing town halls with a lot of the America First candidates like he did with uh, Lexalt and Lombardo in Las Vegas last week. And it's just crazy to see, you know. Well, the guy can speak for two hours and the other guy can't speak for two minutes. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Off a teleprompter. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Repeat the line. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, Joe, you know, this is awesome been sitting down with you. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. Well, obviously, it's going to be the last time before your primary, which we wish you the most absolutely best health and luck in. We know you've done such a good job. You, you've earned it. You deserve it. And we know that if anybody's not going to take his uh, eyes off the target, um, that's a really bad pun, but one that's very applicable to you, Joe. Uh, we know it's going to be you. So moving forward, if any of our listenership or new listenership coming in now doesn't already follow you and, and can help support you on our, our social medias, can you give yours out and then uh, your campaign website? Sure. Yeah. Joe Kent for Congress.com, I think is the best place to go. There's a link tree to all my social media on there, whatever platform you're on. I'm on as well. Uh, take a look to you at the schedule of town halls. If you're yeah. in the district, chances are I am coming to a, a location near you. Come on out ask me any questions that you have. Uh, Joe Kent for Congress.com is, is the touch point for all that. So my goal is to reach everybody in the district who's willing to hear what I have to say. So look forward to seeing everybody out of the town hall. 
And we look forward to seeing you have uh, much success in the in the primary up there in just a few short weeks. When's the primary, Joe? Uh, so voting start basically voting starts uh, on the fifteenth when the ballots get sent out. The big day is August second. But if you're in the district, you should already have your voters pamphlet. And next week, you'll probably see a uh, an actual ballot in your mailbox. That's perfect. You know, we, we, we did a whole bunch of teasing for the Arizona ones that went out last week. We know we love that ticket in Arizona. President Trump's going to be there uh, this coming weekend, and uh, we look forward to seeing that. And we're going to be doing the same thing for, for you and Lauren and all the other great America First candidates that are running up in Washington 3. This is the America First candidate running in that district. Trump endorsed Mr. Joe Kent. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, as usual, Noah, it was great sitting down with two of our favorite guests. Yep. Um, you know, just jumping in line and agreeing with every candidate that gets endorsed by certain people and all the way up to President Trump. For optics, seems like a good idea sometimes. Obviously, you know, we've tried to deconstruct the Jack Posobiec versus Dr. Oz narrative and the real harm that they could have. We have a little bit more flexibility in the House. And, you know, for people like Robbie Starbuck, who we've always championed to and you know, still continues to lead in the poll, even though he's been forced to be a writing candidate. And we did not jump on board with the Morgus Ortegas um, endorsement there. But even more importantly, Mike Collins, who, who we tracked before he announced his formal candidacy for Georgia 10, ran an amazing America First campaign, backed on the heels of him promoting Trump-era politics and policies that, that really had him have such a commanding win in the runoff election there against Vernon Jones. Mike Collins is the correct candidate. And you know what, all the stuff that happened with Vernon Jones running for the governor and could have picked a different house race. And if Donald Trump really wanted to endorse him and get him over the finish line, he could have put him in somewhere where he, he would have had a little bit better chance of winning. But when it came down to it, uh, you know, we're really proud of Mike and we know that he's going to be an actual America First candidate when he gets into Washington, D.C. this fall. Uh, and then Joe Kent, you can't say enough about the guy. The guy has served this country to the nth degree. He's made the ultimate sacrifices in more way than one. We all know what happened as his wife was tragically murdered uh, via a suicide bomber at the hands of ISIS. Mm. And then just to see how he's picked up all the pieces of his life and still to this day continues once to give back to this country. Y- you can't say enough about either one of the guys. Uh, we're, we're so proud of both of them. You know, Joe's primary date is coming up soon. And uh, it's one of those things where we're just going to continue to track it and, and support all these candidates as much as possible. Two of the ones running in Alaska right now. First is uh, for a Senate seat looking to primary. One of the biggest rhinos, top five in the entire Senate, Lisa Murkowski, is uh, Kelly Chewbacca. Um Steak for breakfast, non-enjoyer, apparently. Well, not enough time for steak for breakfast, but that's fine. We're going to continue to pump her out because we know she's a lot better than Lisa Murkowski and uh, have a lot of respect for the hard work that she's doing. And then one of my favorite political pundits over the years, uh, not as much as a VP candidate, but as a governor and uh, overall smoke showedness, Sarah Palin, pretty good-looking gal for MAGA mom. Yeah. Maybe she'll be uh, hitting Cash Patel up in his DMs once they uh, open up on True Social. I think that's one of the only reasons the DMs haven't started on there yet. (laughs) Because of the amount of single MAGA moms. (laughs) Listen, we get a lot of DMs. A lot. A couple hundred a day across all of our social medias. uh, Mostly on Instagram, VR3 accounts. 
you have no many, no idea how many people ask us about the availability of Cash Patel. Those those single MAGA moms that are out there that say he's he's so handsome and uh, you know really want to get his phone number. So we've we've held strong to this point, and uh, we we will continue to hold the line. And you know it's one of those things where. Uh, it's really funny to see how this base is really coming together uh, on the heels of the strength of, of the 45th president of the United States, who was in his purest of forms, f- close to final form, if you want to make that reference, uh, this past Saturday up in Anchorage, Alaska, where they packed and blew out all the numbers for that venue, uh, you know, blew the doors right off of it. And it was, it was vintage 2015, 2016 President Trump. He looked young. He acted young. And for almost an hour and 40 minutes, 90% of it was off teleprompter. And uh, we're, we're going to, of course, break this down to the best way we can. You know, we are the only podcast in the America First movement that deconstructs every Trump rally and gives you the best narratives on the message that he's trying to promote. And uh, we're going to get into this right now and, uh, you know, kick it off with the, with the reason why he was there. He was in Alaska for, for Kelly and Sarah Palin, and, and he was talking about getting nobody's friend, uh, you know, Lisa Murkowski, the hell out of there. So let's jump right into it and uh, start talking about rhinos. We are the least respected we've ever been as a country all over the world. And pay our respects to Prime Minister Abe because he is uh, he was a great man. He was a great man. We had a great relationship with him. He would have been our friend if we needed him. He was a great man. This is your precious chance to dump the horrific rhino senator, Lisa Murkowski, who's worse than a Democrat. She's worse than a Democrat. And how Sullivan doesn't come out and denounce her is amazing to me, I'll tell you. He called me up, he was eight points down, and then I endorsed him and he ends up winning his race. How he doesn't denounce Lisa Murkowski for what she's done to this party and to your state. Funny how that happens sometimes. Murkowski has been in the Senate for 21 years. Her father held the seat for 21 years before. Yep. She's a total creature of the Washington swamp, but much worse than that. And a tool of a corrupt establishment, the likes of which we've never seen. The fake news media loves her. Mm. That's in itself. And one of the most destructive two-faced rhinos, she betrayed the Alaska voters. She wiped out Anwar. Do you know that Anwar? Do you know that Anwar is the biggest site? Maybe Saudi Arabia? Maybe, maybe not. You had the biggest site. Ronald Reagan tried this. Did you know that, Mike? Ronald Reagan tried endlessly to get it. Couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. The Bushes, you know, they don't try so hard. The Bush. They're Bush. They're, what do they do? They don't try. They're Bush. They've been lost for a long time. Mm-hmm. So they didn't try that hard, but they tried. But they all tried for years, decades and decades. They tried. They couldn't get it. I got it. And Lisa Murkowski approves a person that in the first day of office wipes out Anwar. Now, Lisa Murkowski could have said, I'm not going to vote for you unless I have assurances of Anwar for Alaska. They would have been paying you taxes, okay, (laughs) if you had that. The biggest site probably in the world. 
and it was wiped out in one day by Lisa Murkowski's approval, she had the final vote. She could have made a deal, could have done something. Just remember, she did it. Mm-hmm. So the message was clear. Uh, you know, when it comes in regards to that Senate seat, he wants Lisa Murkowski out of there. She's definitely voted on a lot of establishment and America last policies throughout the course of her reign as a senator. And once she became an anti-Trumper, that, you know, that was going to be pretty much it with the big guy. It's good to see he's endorsed Kelly Chewbacca, who's been involved with Alaskan politics for a long time. And and she's continued to hold the line up there. And and we're hoping, based off the fact that she's all over the state right now and working real hard, that she's going to be the one out there. It'll count on election day uh, when we get out to the to the polls and vote. And and one of the biggest things President Trump was looking to uh, really hit home on was the uh, people who work the vote centers and, and how in the 2020 presidential election, we all know we didn't have enough people in the conservative movement and on the Republican side as poll watchers, as, as vote counters and as people providing oversight. He touched on that issue as one of the big ones moving forwards into the midterms. One of the most urgent tasks for the Republican Party this November, because you're going to have you have the votes, you're going to win. You're going to win. But you have to make sure that you watch the voting and the ballot counting. Because Kelly and Sarah, your governor, they're going to win, but you got to watch the ballot counting. The Democrats have proven, unfortunately, that the vote counter is far more important than the candidate. Does that make sense to you? You know, that's an old expression used by a, a very uh, powerful man. I won't even give you his name because we don't need that name thrown out. They'll say, Trump admires him. No, I don't admire him. But he said the vote counter is far more important than the candidate. Mm-hmm. When we win, a top priority for the Republican Congress must be to end the nightmare Joe Biden has created on our southern border. The radical left's open borders policies are getting innocent Americans killed. A few months ago, an illegal alien in Florida was charged with violently beating to death a 74-year-old woman, stealing her money and burying her body in a shallow grave. They didn't know where she was. They said, but she's there. She's not there. No, they found her in a shallow grave. Last year, an illegal alien in Chicago Mm -hmm. walked into his neighborhood home and executed a person at point-blank range while his family was nearby and watching. And just this week in Richmond, Virginia, two illegal aliens were arrested for a plot to conduct a brutal mass shooting at a 4th of July celebration. And you saw what happened on the 4th of July with the other maniac. The radical Democrats have turned our country into one giant sanctuary for dangerous criminal aliens. In the Republican Party, we believe our country should be a sanctuary for law-abiding citizens who love America, like we do. Mm -hmm. Like we do. Like we do, Noah? Like we do. It it has really gotten out of control, and it's one of the things we talk about. I think we're the only show currently in the media, both on television and, 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 you know, via the podcast outlet who talk about the reality of the crisis down on the southern border. We, we touched on it with, you know, uh, the Daily Caller's roving correspondent, Jorge Ventura, recently. But, you know, numbers speculatively are over 4 million that have come into this country. Uh, throughout the course of the Trump administration, they tried to, uh, you know, 
get the realistic numbers of people who might be illegally present in this country north of 30 million, which we think is probably a more accurate number than, than the 11 they still go off of from the 80s. Mm-hmm. But right now we're at a point where over 4 million people have come in since the start of the Biden administration. Zero of them are leaving. Zero. Mm, I don't know about zero. When you, when you that wanna, sounds real negative. I'm going to go with 10 are leaving because, Adam, because they left their stove on or something. Not 10 million. Not 10 million. Okay. Not 10,000. Not 10,000. Not 10,000. 10,000. It's almost like 2022nd-eth. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's the fact of the matter is, is that an overwhelming majority, well over 90% of the four-plus million people who have come in just to now, and remember, barely at the halfway mark of the, the Biden administration, mm. they're not leaving. Yeah. And all of their baggage, their pull down on the economy, on wages, on inflation— on your children's education, on the healthcare system, on jobs, that's here to stay. Um, an overwhelming majority of these people will be government reliant for the rest of their lives. And I, I feel, I'm starting to feel like it's almost irresponsible that it's not reported that way. And, and I was thinking about it the other day. One of the ways, because, you know, they used to make fun of Donald Trump that he wasn't just going to be able to bus. And they would say it at the time, 11 million illegal aliens out of the country because he ran on they all must go back to in addition to the wall. You have to look at it from an angle like this. They're really going to have to get into uprooting the administrative state throughout the course of this country and end a lot of these programs that are offered to these people at the time. And at that point, in that point alone, you might see them actually show up for their dates or just simply leave. Because mm. if they can't come here for free anything. Well, I mean, there's plenty of people that are coming here that aren't getting anything other than to work and be in a better place than they were. So if, if you don't have status and you're not showing up for your dates, but you're allowed work authorization through the loopholes that they've... Why formed, would you leave? But let's just say you end work authorization because you haven't done anything else that you're supposed to then do. Then you work illegally. Right. But, I mean, the mass numbers of that... It well, would, then you've been there long enough where you've gotten a state ID of some kind, and that's just as good as being a U.S. citizen. But you do have a lot of these people who are running on E-Verify as part of their pla- campaign platforms right now. Yeah, I mean, I like it. Like I like it, yeah. So I'm just thinking of ways that we can combat this issue without physically putting them on charter flights and sending them back to the third world. Um, you know, it, it, he, he did touch on a couple other things uh, throughout the course uh, of his presidency that were, were, you know, forced against him. And one of them was the uh, the Mueller investigation. He did have some uh, lively language for that one, and, and we're going to bring it to you right now. These are the same people that gave you the impeachment hoax number one, the impeachment hoax number two, the Mueller bullshit, <laughs> the... After two years, they did come out with a conclusion. Think of this. 18 Trump haters, and they came out with a con- conclusion, right? No collusion. So the conclusion was no collusion. Get like Biden it. to say that, okay? <laughs> Without notes, you know. No, like I said, he, he was in rare form. He was he was tapped into the energy. It was his earlier days as, as a candidate and then president. And the energy level in Alaska was extremely well. Uh, he, he he was there for, you know, this is not a Donald Trump rally. This is a Save America rally. So he was there for some of his great friends, and, and they are uh, Sarah Palin and, and Kelly Chewbacca. And he was uh, 
talking about Sarah because I guess this is someone that he has suitably mentored uh, throughout the years, and and it's one of those things where. You know, she, she's gone through a lot of stuff. She, she you know, ran as, as the VP and, and for, for a government now and a society now where everything is woke. Uh, you you got to think over a decade ago, she might have been welcomed a little bit more. She was completely thrown under the bus and, and made fun of as a, as a joke and, and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, you really couldn't give her the appreciation for what she was at the time. She parlayed that into a successful run for the governorship in Alaska, where she, you know, stood up to people like Russia and, and did a lot of things that were America first before America first was a thing, like you know, drilling the oil fields and, and, and working on getting towards a solution that would eventually lead to Anwar and, and some of the highways that have never been able to build that Donald Trump was able to get built there after he became president. So he, he, he was getting ready to tease his guests who he was holding the Save America rally for. And here's him talking about Sarah Palin. I just send the great, legendary Sarah Palin to the U.S. House of Representatives. Incredible woman, you know, uh, just quickly on Sarah, early on, 2015, actually, and I was running and people didn't really know too much about me other than business stuff. And he tapped the New York I accent said, Let's a little run, bit more this rally. Straighten mm -hmm. out the country. We did a hell of a job, by the way. But, but Sarah was hot as a pistol and everybody wanted her and that they just wanted that endorsement. And she was with somebody else. And I figured that was that, but that's all right. But Sarah came out of nowhere and she said, the one I like best is a guy named Donald Trump. So Sarah, I'm here to say, I like you best. I know your opponent and I like you way better. You're great, Sarah, and I appreciate it. And I won't forget, I won't forget, we're going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. They really dug that one, and it was at that point that it was time for Sarah Palin to join the 45th president of the United States up on stage. Let's hear what he, she had to say in regards to her House candidacy. This is huge. This is, this is life-changing, what's coming up here in the midterms, the change that are needed. And it's no longer Democrat versus Republican. This is all about control versus freedom. It's, it's good versus evil. Yes. It is a spiritual battle. They use the pandemic as an example in order to achieve a, a goal of controlling you. Look, they have wanted you to retreat to just give up. But mm -mm. my dad, he taught me difference. My dad, school teacher around here since the 60s, he's probably taught a lot of you all. My dad, no, he was all about, no, you stiffen your spine. You use what they throw at you as fuel. Let it strengthen and fortify you. And you fight for what is right. Well, my dad's words exactly were, don't retreat, reload.
midterms, but we got to crush it. We've got to let them know that we are fed up and we are fired up. Mm, I agree with her. Mm-hmm. You know, she, 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 I'm always fired up. Yeah, we certainly are. She brought a lot of, uh, of that fire to the podium. She talked about some of the things that we really do champion on this show. First of all, it being a spiritual battle, good versus evil. It, it literally is it at the end of the day. The, the destruction of the middle class, of, of Christian values, of the nuclear family, that is as evil as you can get. And uh, it's, it's one of the definite uh, angles of this uh, ad- current administration in there. And it's one of the things that you see a lot of these America First candidates really having success with adding to their platform is wanting to, you know, be at the forefront of the center. We, you know, Monica De La Cruz was on here the other day and God, family, and, and, and freedoms are, are three of the biggest pillars of her campaign platform. You can't get much more America first than that. So it, it's one of the things that you're, you're seeing this resonate. You're also seeing Donald Trump gravitate to a lot of these candidates who are really coming out, in addition to speaking for changes in leadership and things against the administration, obviously knowing that the election was rigged and stolen and, and parlaying that into some of their uh, America first agenda. And that's what you're seeing is the, the perfect equation for some of the endorsements that he's given out along the road he is just going non-stop too like rallies uh, and uh, speaking shit i mean he's <laughs> I, you couldn't even get joe biden to like show up for 10 minutes and and just not be a complete mess like no. this guy's burning the candle on both ends and, and he's still sharp as a whip you're you're 100 correct no just over the fact this weekend we knew he was in bedminster he flew from bedminster to alabama alabama to nevada did a town hall with adam lexow and uh, Joe Lombardo there. The next afternoon, he was in Anchorage, Alaska, given a rally. And now, regardless of where he went after that, he's going to be in Arizona this coming weekend. So it, it just seems that... Aren't we going to be in Arizona this weekend? Really good chance of that. Really good chance of that. Better than average chance of that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. We, 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 we got a show to save right now. Uh, it was Kelly Chewbacca who was up next. He called her on stage and wanted the... Uh, How do you spell that name? Is it spelled like Chewbacca from Star Wars? No, it's T-S-H-B-A-K-A. Oh, Chewbacca. Yeah. Like but a sandwich. How it's pronounced is Chewbacca. Oh. Yeah. I like it. So so do I. And I, and, and I like her. The message that she was given was just as strong as Sarah Palin's. If and, you're uh, listening, I didn't mean to make fun of your name. Sorry. Instead <laughs> of having a senator who helps to confirm... Nearly all of Biden's radical nominees, but opposes constitutionalist judges like Brett Kavanaugh, we should be opposing those nominees who are going to be harmful for Alaska and supporting judges that are going to protect our rights. It's time for a change. Rather than having a senator who's bought and paid for by dark money from big tech, radical environmentalists, and D.C. insiders... We should have our Senate seat funded by Alaskans and those who think like us. Guess what time it is? It's time for a change. I like it. Rather than have a senator who votes with Joe Biden time and again to just gut our Second Amendment rights, we need to protect and defend our gun rights. It's time for a change. And, and like I already said, Kelly's been really involved in Alaska politics for such a long time. Uh, her family's very well known up there. It was a really 
interesting, so what seemed like out of left field pick when Donald Trump gave her an early endorsement. But when you start to uh, look back into her history and, and what she's kind of built behind her and, and really organizing uh, all of the stuff there, the energy independence, the America First stuff for this movement, and, and, and see what she's done to uh, earn a candidacy for that Senate seat. She, she's doing extremely well. She, she's running up against somebody that's got, listen, everybody and their mother on the establishment side from Mitch McConnell and that whole money apparatus they've got over there in the Republican Party all the way down to uh, the people on the groundwork, all the little gremlins who are America last there that, you know, want to be environmentalists and stuff like that in Alaska working against her. But she's polling extremely well, and it's, it's my anticipation that, that she's going to do really good once once we have that primary come here in August. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I thought was the funniest moment, I really don't want to play the backstory because we've played it before, how, how Donald Trump talked about how when uh, he, he really wanted to solve the ISIS problem, he took himself to Iraq to meet with the brass there after uh, you know his chief of staff told him it would take two to three years to eliminate the problem. Donald Trump was known for doing everything ahead of schedule and under budget, and he wanted the same thing done with the destruction of ISIS. So when he went to you know, Iraq, they talked about how he flew in under the cover of darkness, how he met the general there whose name was Raising Cain, mm. and how fast they were able to just destroy ISIS and eliminate the threat that was their leader, al-Baghdadi. I, I, I pulled a small clip from the end of that story, and it's right before they talk about how Baghdadi died. Uh, it's how the general would be hitting ISIS from every angle possible, which was the Donald Trump plan to utilize all the bases in the region except the one that once you got out there and dropped your bombs, you immediately had to go and refuel. And so I'd hit him on the left, I'd hit him on the right. I'd hit him in the fucking center, sir, right center. I like Alaska. He loves Alaska. Yeah. I thought one of the other interesting things that he had there... Uh, was some narrative he, he gave in regards to Elon Musk. Uh, you know, Donald Trump was under the impression, I, I believe through con- conversation, that Elon Musk had voted for him in, in the 2020 presidential election. And it turned into kind of a, a little bit of firestorm on Twitter this week because Elon Musk came out and in regards to a Breitbart article for the... Uh, audio we're going to play had some colorful comments to talk about it. I'm going to play the audio first and then we'll talk about the tweets. And go out by the way, while I'm here and sign up now for truth social, it's hot as a pistol. And you see that I pull that one, right? Leon's I tell you what, Elon, not Leon, Elon (laughs) is not going to buy Twitter. Where did you hear that before? From me. Mm-hmm. From a fake account. She says fake. A lot of them. Nah, he's got himself a mess. You know, he said the other day, oh, I've never voted for a Republican. I said, I didn't know that. He told me he voted for me. So he's another bullshit artist, but he's not going to be buying it. He's not going to be buying it. Although he might later. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? He's got a pretty rotten contract. I looked at his contract. Not a good contract. But he's not. Sign up for truth. 
We love the truth. We do love the truth, and we love the fact that uh, we're enjoying some of our best traction ever on social media and in the history of our show. Uh, but let's talk about this Elon narrative a little bit. Noah, you know, we, we saw some stuff come out over the last 24 hours. So Breitbart took that audio clip where Donald Trump basically said that he always knew that Elon wasn't going to buy Twitter and called him a bullshit artist for telling him he voted <laughs> for him in the 2020 presidential election. And, and you know, he, he had some comments underneath that. He said, first of all, he said in one of his tweets, Trump would be 82 at the end of his term which would be too old to be the chief executive of anything, let alone the United States of America. I mean, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are two and a half years apart in age right now. I don't see Donald Trump experiencing any of the things that Joe Biden are doing age-related-wise right now. Do you? No. And then he said if DeSantis runs against Biden in 2024, then DeSantis will easily win. He doesn't even need to campaign. That is someone who is more detached from politics yeah, it's a little than ever before. A much. You know, I... I, I was one of the people that went in there. And then, you know, our response to that was that this narrative is beyond reality and shows why you're in the business sector and not the political spectrum. Two more years of the current administration would equal a Trump 20 victory, a Trump victory in 2024. Anyone who knows anything about politics knows that the Trump DeSantis ticket hurts more than it helps the party, which is fact check true. Donald or uh, Ron DeSantis needs to remain in Florida and, and make that state great again and, and make it a real red state and get all the stuff out of there. And he'll do that with another governor, term there and, and then he can announce for whatever he wants to do in 2028 I, i'm not against the guy but remember he won a really narrow election last time he was a uh, moderate at best house representative in, in the u.s house and now you know he, he's really come on strong since he won the governorship there but he needs to parlay that into a second term and, and you know everybody was beating him up in the comments but it, it's also one of those things Elon Musk would, would comment again later in the thread. I, listen, I don't hate the man, but it's time for Trump to hang up his hat and sail into the sunset. Again, also false. Dems should also call off the attack dogs. Don't make it so that Trump's only way to survive is to regain the presidency. Mm, yeah. I, I really, you know, I, I screenshotted that tweet, and, and my quote on that was Homelander confirmed. You yeah. know, everybody wants to refer to him as, as like an Iron Man-esque hero character that was going to come in and make Twitter great again and all this other stuff. And when people really start beating him up, he's somebody that can't take criticism, first of all, uh, at all. You know, if people don't like the narrative on this show, like, that's your opinion. And when people want to argue with us online and stuff, I said, listen, you're completely entitled to your opinion, and I respect that, but we just feel a different way. He can't live in that spectrum. So he's extremely spoiled and uh, he's probably frustrated with a lot of the stuff that's going on. And at the end of the day, it's uh, his true colors are starting to shine through. So for anyone that thought he was going to be some kind of a hero and listen, we don't not enjoy the narrative more than anybody else. Seeing all these people go crazy over the stuff he's done with Twitter has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you, you need something to actually happen for it to be relevant or, or to hold any weight. Well, it's interesting, you know, just the way that Twitter was, acting when they mm -hmm. thought he was going to buy it like it's it's it just it's eye-opening if nothing else there's a benefit of him doing that because it it just opened people's eyes to the fact that it is being totally uh manipulated yeah yeah no i agree and uh you know it's not something we want to stay on too long but it was it was interesting for him to personally call out that guy and uh you know it, it's because of the massive failings that he's having in regards to the twitter deal and Right now, we're seeing True Social, you know, get stronger and stronger. We're about to have the Android update. We're going to see DMs here soon. And then we've already seen some massive upgrades to the, uh, you know, original 
uh, social media platform that that's making it. It's it's pretty good. I tell you what, traction wise, if if you're posting during busy times and, and you got a, a mild to moderate following, you're gonna have a lot of good time in there. The conversations are great. I wonder if I'm verified yet. I haven't looked. Gotta check it out. <laughs> That would be an amazing success, and Donald Trump talked about those amazing successes, not you getting verified on True Social, I was about but to some, say. some of the other ones. Take the five worst presidents in American history and then put them all together, mix them all up, and they would not have done the incredible damage that Joe Biden has done to our country in less than two short years, two years. The contrast between the Trump administration's amazing success and even the other side says we got to hand it. And as you know, last week we had a lot of success in many ways in a place called the Supreme Court. You saw what happened. Ronald Reagan fought and tried to do it, and everybody did. But four things came down last week on guns, on religious liberty, on the environment, and Roe v. Wade. (laughs) Massive pro-life crowd out there in Alaska. It was a big win. Yeah, it certainly was. And, uh, you know, as you can tell from from the select cuts that we've decided to play throughout the course of this uh, rally, you could see that he was really on top of his game. I I would say he overwhelmingly stayed off of the teleprompter and didn't need it as much as, uh, you know, people like Joe Biden do and stuff like that, and and really kind of just dialed into the crowd who was, you know, feeling his energy, feeling the interactiveness, and uh, they were really hoping that these candidates that he's trying to push over the finish line can get there. I think both of them are extremely qualified, too, and I think both of them are uh, more than capable of getting the job done in regards to voting for new leadership in the House and Senate and holding the America First agenda in addition to the Biden administration uh, at task for what they've done to this country uh, since day one. So we're wrapping up now, and, and listen, there's going to be some interesting parts. We're, we always play the outro because he, he changes it for every place he goes. Now, believe it or not, even though that 90% of what he does in the outro is right off the teleprompter, he went off this more than ever. You're going to hear, and you're going to have to listen for it. No, I know you've been a little bit distracted. We're trying to work some logistics for stuff that's going on behind the scenes here on the show today. But one of his dirtiest jokes you, you'll ever hear. <laughs> and, and, but it's so clean, everyone misses it. And when I heard it the first time, I was like, and then he said, that's what she said. No, but he says, hey, we, we really have some fun at Trump rallies, don't we? Because he knows everybody missed how dirty the joke was. And he actually calls some people who had some really based Donald Trump T-shirts from the audience up on stage to join him. So let's jump into the outro. It's a little bit longer, like I said, because he goes off task. But listen, if you're listening to Steak for Breakfast, all we're doing is talking about Trump ever policies, the 45th president of the United States, everyone running in these things. Why wouldn't you want to listen to the end of the rally anyway? So let's hit it. In conclusion, (laughs) our MAGA movement, Make America Great Again, is by far the greatest political movement in the history of our country. You know, we've had some movements. We've never had one like this. You know, you've had movements where a politician like came in second in Iowa and he became very famous, came in third in New Hampshire, became very famous for the rest of his life. We won all of them. We won all of them. We won every one of them. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. We won every one of them, all 50 plus the islands. You don't know about the islands, but the islands too. There's never been a movement. And then we won the election twice. We won it twice. 
We may have to do it again. Together, we're standing up against some of the most menacing forces, entrenched interests, and vicious opponents our people have ever seen. The way they throw around the word impeachment, the way they go after people that are innocent people, political people, and yet they leave killers on the street to shoot people. Despite great outside dangers, our biggest threat remains the sick, sinister, and evil people from Mm -hmm. within our country. But no matter how big or powerful these corrupt radicals may be, you must never forget this nation does not belong to them. This nation belongs to you. Belongs to you. This is your home. This is your heritage. And our American liberty is your God-given right. Remember that. They want to take that away. Mm -hmm. From Anchorage to Fairbanks and Wasilla to Juneau, from the slopes of Denali to the waters of Glacier Bay. That's a beautiful place. (laughs) And from the forests of the interior to the majestic vistas of the Inside Passage. Does anybody know the Inside Passage? Anybody want to go there tonight? What a beautiful name, the Inside Passage. Let's go to the inside passage tonight, right? (laughs) By the way, is there anything that's more fun than a Trump rally? (laughs) (laughs) You ever been to the inside passage? It's our first garrison on 45. Nah. Crowd loves it. Yeah. This state was forged by some of the very toughest men and some of the very strongest women ever to walk the face of the earth. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of luxury, but they had grit. They had faith and they had each other. Very importantly, they were frontiersmen and fishermen and loggers and lumberjacks and homesteaders and miners. And they poured out their heart and their sweat and their soul to make America into the greatest nation in the history of the world. But now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in over 40 years, where the stock market just finished the worst first half of a year in more than five decades. Likewise, we are a nation that has the highest energy cost in its history. And we are no longer energy independent or energy dominant, which we were just two short years ago. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia for oil. Please, please give us oil. (laughs) We have more liquid gold under our feet than any other nation in the world. But we're begging them for oil. We are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan leaving behind dead soldiers and American citizens and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and it will only get worse. And it never would have happened if the election were different. It would have never happened. It didn't happen. All of those people that are now dead and all of those cities that are now crushed, nothing would have happened. We could have made a deal, but we didn't even have to make a deal. Nothing would have happened. It would have never happened. 
I believe he saw what happened in Afghanistan. And he said, these people don't know what they're doing. This is our chance. I really believe that. But it never would have happened. Putin would have never done it. All of that human life and that culture in those cities. We're a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've never seen anything like this. We're a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is about all you get. And they are the true enemy of the people. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. Mm. We are a nation that is allowing Iran to build a massive nuclear weapon would have never happened. They would have made a deal in the first week. And China to mm. use the trillions and trillions of dollars it's taken from the United States to build a military to rival our own. And perhaps most importantly, we are a nation that over the past two years is no longer respected or listened to all around the world. They don't respect us. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. Mm -hmm. And we are a nation that is hostile to liberty and freedom and faith. We are a nation whose economy is floundering, whose stores are not stocked whose deliveries are not coming and whose educational system is ranked at the bottom of every list. But we are not going to let this continue. Two years ago, we had the greatest, and I mean like never before, economy and the greatest country. We were doing so well. Everybody, African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, women, men, high school diploma. People with no diploma from high school, people with PhDs from MIT and Harvard and the Wharton School of Finance and all of these great schools, everybody was doing well. Women, especially women, doing well, everybody. But soon we will have greatness again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We will stand up to the radical left lunatics and the rhinos, and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought before. Get rid of Lisa Murkowski. Mm -hmm. Get rid of Lisa Murkowski. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield ever, ever, ever. Kelly, Sarah, they will never, ever do that. We will never give in, we will never give up, and we will never, ever back down. We will never let you down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a little chance. Mm -hmm. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and God alone my fellow citizens. This incredible journey we are on together has only just begun, and it is time to start talking about greatness for our country, greatness again.
We don't talk about greatness anymore. We talk about problems. We talk about crime. We talk about taking power away from our police. We talk about a woke military. Do you believe this? Uh. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious American nation. So with the help of everyone here today and the citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again, so strong. We will make America proud, 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 proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much, Alaska. Thank you. Thank you, Alaska. Thank you. God bless you all. Awesome, awesome rally to you. Definitely guy. never see any clever cropping of the film, uh, no, for his rallies. No, you sure don't. Uh, there, there won't be any creative editing in regards to the message that he's trying to get out there. And, trying to uh, get as many jeeps in the frame as possible. <laughs> people in hula hoops. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy. You know where we're at right now. But the fact of the matter is, is that like President Trump always says, the journey that we're on is not over. It's just beginning. And and. American greatness is going to be at the forefront of this movement uh, like it should have been a long time ago. Um, definitely give it, I would say, rally ratings up to this point. I would say that's about as close to a 9. I know Portnoy says anything over like 8.7 is a fake rating, but that was that was as close to 2015, 2016 as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was hitting, you know, everybody, uh, all the topics right on the head. His narrative was perfect. The flow was good. The guests were great. Um, in addition to that, we saw an F-bomb, a couple bullshit bombs, and, you know, it was just, it, it was it was classic Trump. You heard him using that New York accent that he doesn't always use. You know, he's, he's, he's definitely, uh, you know, speaks a little bit more appropriately when he's doing TV spots and stuff like that, but... Listen, he just gets down, rolls up his sleeves, and, and, and gets with the people and, and, and wants to know that it's one of those things where there's a lot of people in this movement right now. Uh, you know, well, let's just use Elon Musk for a reference. For everybody that thinks he was going to just abandon who he is or what he is or all of everything, you know, Donald Trump still lives in that multi-billion billionaire status of, of the money and the wealth and success that he has, but... There was a long time ago where Donald Trump probably had the opportunity. It's like you're with us or against us. And for all the people that have abandoned him, it's not for optics. It's not part of the game. It's not art of war. Donald Trump has abandoned that big establishment bullshit. And, uh, you know, we might not agree with every single decision he makes and every single thing he says, but I, I firmly believe that his interest is, is 100% invested in the, uh, in the well-being and the success of this country as part of how he gives thanks to a nation that, gave him everything else throughout the course of his fame and fortune. And, uh, you know, moving forward, it's just going to be one of those things where uh, we'll keep reporting on the rallies, some of them on Right Side Broadcasting Network, and maybe a few of them in person. But but besides that, we're just going to have to see where it goes. And uh, 
we'll be sure to bring it to you as that news continues to break and develop. Awesome. Awesome way to start the week. Can't think of anything better in regards to getting this show in here on a Tuesday with a full breakdown of a Trump rally and two of the most America first candidates. Now one of them's a nominee that we have out there running in the races across the country. Noah, rate it. 10 out of 10. Love it. It's fake rating, but uh, we'll take it. (laughs) Uh, You know what else we'll take is you listening to all of the other 150 episodes of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and all the places that you can download them. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, and we're currently now on Frank Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds, of course, go to our two great guests, the Republican nominee for Georgia 10, Mr. Mike Collins, and uh, Mr. America First himself, Trump-endorsed candidate running in Washington 3, Joe Kent. In addition to him, some of our internet friends, Cagro88, the Patriotic Baby Counts, Mr. Garbaggio, Hugh White Memes, Christina Bob of Save America, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live. Friends, don't forget to go out there and uh, throw some cash at our sponsors, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. Last chance to get the My Slippers, version one. I have a feeling Mike's got a second version ready to come out, but for as expensive as they are, when they're down to $49.98, you can't really beat it. Enter promo code STAKE at checkout. Hit the website up at mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related. The highest quality of in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. I really can't say enough about the headphones that I'm wearing every week on the show. They are amazing, and so is their products. Check them out, odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. If you want a picture of Donald Trump, call an Elon Musk bullshit at a Trump rally, they'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster and get those orders out faster than ever before. Yep. Noah likes that one a lot better than... uh, Shut up. I don't even want to think about it. All right, we'll we'll skip it. StayReadyGear.com is the website. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram as well. Man rubs. Mm. Gotta love your man rubs. Kind of ruined it for me last time. (laughs) Definitely not man rubs material, but if you got some ribs, you got some brisket, tri-tip, anything you're going to throw on the grill... From chicken and fish and pork all the way down to all of your beef products. You buy it, you shake it, you sprinkle it, you rub it, you throw it into whatever apparatus you're going to use to prepare it. Take it out, drizzle on sauce of your choice, and throw it in your mouth. I did some chicken in the air fryer with man rubs. It was good. Num, num, num. Oh, there it is. Scissor me timbers. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger. You can call him on the phone as well, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You'll love all the gear they've got going on down in their store, and you're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, Dumpbox. It's the uh, gold standard of tactical flair. It's also the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you really haven't gotten one yet, you need to go talk to Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Upcoming shows. We're coming back with a banger to end the week on Friday. Former Trump administration official. We're talking about all those Hunter Biden electronics with him. In addition to all the great stuff he's got going on, Mr. Garrett Ziegler will be joining us. Christina Bob's going to do a little bit of the news with us, and we're going to be talking to one of our favorite senatorial candidates, none other than Mr. Uh, 
rhino hunting permit himself, Eric Greitens. We love him, and he'll be joining us. We'll be back next Tuesday. So far, we've got the spokeswoman for the 45th president of the United States, Liz Harrington, scheduled. We'll be back on the 26th with uh, Cash Patel and Boris Epstein. And we'll be jumping in with Ambassador Rick Grinnell on August 2nd. So far, that's what we got lined up. We're trying to lock dates with former defense Secretary Miller. We're trying to lock in a date for Adam Laxalt as well, in addition to a couple other candidates we're talking to. We might have some surprises coming down the pike for you. Developing behind the scenes of Steak for Breakfast today. Um, what else we got? Friends of the Week. Got a couple new ones in addition to uh, Best of the Rest that uh, always make the roster. Mr. Nukem Cocaine. We don't say enough about that guy. He's great. I know uh, that Southern dude who I'm mentioning right now and Mostly Peaceful also mentioned. They, they hyped him up big time. Midnight Mitch. Let's go Brenda. Grand Old Memes. Silent Meme Jordy. Sanchez Memes. Dank Elvis. Dumbass Photoshop. Machiavelli Memes. Not Far Out. John Hacker LA and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. You want to know all about the uh, Elon Musk backstory? We shared a great article from the National Pulse and Raheem Kassam deconstructing the whole narrative that is Elon Musk and Twitter. It's got a lot of shares. We love putting out content that we consider real journalism. Go do your own research and, and have yourself break that down. Uh, number two, start a podcast. Noah, today, edit-wise? Not too bad. What, right. five clips? There we go. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We just heard President Trump say it. We want to talk about open borders. We want to talk about China. We want to talk about crime. Uh, we don't want to talk about American greatness again. It's time to start talking about it. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 151 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with 152 on Friday. Garrett Ziegler, Christina Bob, and Missouri senatorial candidate Eric Greitens. On behalf of the pod team, two out of three today, Noah... Bye. Thanks for listening and take care. People Paul Adam Scissors and Cole. Joshua Wanko. She stepped in the other room to answer the phone. People Paul Adam Scissors and Cole. Joshua Wanko. She had the decency to leave me No disrespect. Hey, what do I give a fuck? How do you know? I mean, you would take the lips over the tits. Trust me, my boy. There's two things I'm good at. It's pulling dents and spotting good blowjobs. And that, sweetie, had world-class blowjob lips. Am I right, Skipper? Yes. Good enough. What the fuck do I know? A long time ago. Oh, she was good. Uh, right. I want to tell you. Uh, good? Or great? <laughs> <laughs> Why the fuck are you busting my balls? It was a long time ago. Hey, I remember every blowjob I ever got. How about you? It might be your first blowjob. Yeah, of course. How long did it take for the guy to come? <laughs> Do you hear that? I said, you remember your first blowjob? He said, yeah. I said, how long did it take for the guy to come? <laughs>